Mr. Robot Season 2, Episode 12, the second part of the season finale, and the final part of the season finale is over, which means Season 2 of Mr. Robot is over. But the podcasts are still just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler, and here is a man who is instructed to do anything that he must in order to protect this podcast. He is instructed to go all the way, which could be very bad for me, Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, what are you doing with that gun in your hand? It depends on what you're doing with your own life and your actions. And you will complete this podcast, Josh. If you don't complete this podcast, bad things are going to happen. I plan on completing the podcast. You can put that thing away. No one's getting shot here today. Everyone's going to be okay. We're going to walk out of this thing. It's going to be a bloodless affair. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. Antonio, what's going on? Mr. Robot Season 2, we're done. It's over. It's finished. Everyone lived. Everyone survived. And everyone's happy. Yay. Eh, not quite. Uh, <laughs> we have some yeah. issues. We have some issues. But not. It, it could have been a lot worse, I think, in terms of the bloodbath nature of it. There was only one real big gut shot. There was a choking and a, a multiple punching. We did have some violence in this finale. We're not sure where certain other things stand. We do know one person is dead, Josh. R.I.P. Cisco. R.I.P. Turtle from Entourage. R.I.P. Not the same guy. R.I.P. Turtle from Entourage. Not Jerry Farrar. May as well have been. But yeah, R.I.P. Cisco. This is confirmation we get in this episode. A big, uh, a big loss for the show for Darlene especially. We'll talk about where that leaves Darlene, what that means for Darlene going forward. But yeah, Cisco gone. R.I.P. I love. I love that that's our major headline leaving here. We're talking about Cisco as like our first big thing. Uh, There there are plenty of headlines. Pretends great things for the rest of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, there are plenty of headlines, but Cisco is a loss. So we have to to do what we do here to raise a glass and uh, pour out a little bit, eulogize Cisco. And I I think we're we're sad to see Yeah, I don't think that Cisco is much of a headline at all anymore, in fact. Uh, No no head, head. no head. Really, I mean, you watch that slow down stuff and you just see Cisco's head explode. And it's disgusting and it's terrible. And, you know, I'm actually glad that they never showed us the other side of the shootout because that would have been gruesome. That would have been something best used in like a Paul Verhoeven movie. Yeah, you've got uh, some Cisco on you there, <laughs> You've got some Cisco's on you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he, I mean, he's not the only person that's been shot. Obviously, the big, big thing that happens right near the end of the finale, Elliot Alderson getting shot. Seems for a second like he, uh, like he may be dying. Looks like Mr. Robot is blinking in and out of existence. We don't know the condition that Elliot is in. We do know that he's alive. We get that during the final phone call between Angela and Tyrell that Elliot is you know unconscious at the very least maybe comatose maybe who knows something bad but angela will be there quote unquote when he wakes up so elliot's alive but he's been shot and the big ramifications of that is mr robot truly is willing to go all the way which was a big surprise to me that mr robot is willing to die for the cause that kind of flies in the face of what my interpretation of mr robot had been throughout all of these mr robot podcasts that that guy is about self-preservation at all costs but the mission is bigger than him in his eyes He's a revolutionary. He is truly somebody who is fighting on on the front, the battlefront of this revolution that was started with the 5-9 hack and that continues in the aftermath. And he's more than willing to go down. The Elliot Alderson Prime, the part that isn't Mr. Robot, he isn't like that. And I, I loved seeing that from Elliot in that scene where he was standing up and saying, no, this isn't what I want. And he was distinguishing I from Mr. Robot, even though Mr. Robot is part of him. It's a part of him that we've talked about that probably is more of the unbroken 
unbridled id or something that's just rampaging around in Eliot's mind and is, of course, more of a revolutionary. Yeah, we have always read him as more self-preservation oriented, but this is something that he's, he's willing to die for. And he's willing to go all the way, as you said. Thankfully, and thanks to Sam Esmail and everyone at the Mr. Robot creative team for not putting us, Josh, in a dumpster situation. Thankfully, we know that Elliot will survive this episode, that he is alive. He will wake up. Angela is on her way. So this is not a situation where we're hanging over and smart. waiting to find out. Yeah, smart. Very smart. Thanks for that. I Great. really am glad for that. Great choice. There's no world in which anyone is really going to believe that Elliot is killed in season two's finale, especially the week that Rami Malek wins an Emmy. Congratulations, Rami Malek, by the way. Absolutely. I mean, well deserved. Well, very well deserved, but he's not going to die that same week. There's just no way Mr. Robot is going to do that in its second season. Will this show end with the death of Elliot? Very possible. Uh, potentially probable. Uh, but is he going to die in season two? No, he's absolutely not. So why even make that a cliffhanger going into season three? I really appreciate that that's resolved and his fate is a little bit hanging in the balance. So that's up in the air as well. Uh, no RIP necessary for Tyrell Wellick, thankfully. We now know for sure that that is Tyrell. That's not a ghost. It's not a vision. It is a flesh and blood Tyrell. I think that's an awesome direction for the show. Would have been, you know, we talked about this a bit in last week's episode, that it would have been a little hairy, I think, for him to be a vision, for him to just be somebody who's now palling around with Mr. Robot inside of Elliot's noggin. I'm glad that it's the actual Tyrell and not some sort of ghost. As am I. And I'm glad we went in on all in on the the lucid dreaming is not making him see Tyrell, that he is actually seeing Tyrell. Because, and what a great way, by the way, to establish the truth of the affair. Just shoot someone in the stomach, Josh. That's how you know for sure who's real and who's not and what's actually going on. This is an Elliot. We've seen this character be shot in the head. We saw him get shot in season one. So having him be shot, but having it have in the minute, in the moment consequences and then seeing people talk about it afterwards, I'm, I'm glad for that because even though I don't like to see Elliot in peril as a as a fan of Elliot and a fan of that character, I'm very glad for the clarity of what was going on there. So I feel very good about a lot of things that were concerning or that we could have been concerned about as murky going into the finale. I, I feel a lot better about the clarity and the Tyrell thing for sure. I'm a little bit more upset though, Josh, that we also got some clarity. R.I.P. D.D.P. I know. R.I.P. D.D.D.P. That is not happening. Uh, if we had Rob's Taboo Buzzer, we would be blasting it right now. I had been championing that for a while, that there was going to be some backstory revealed that Darlene and Dom, that they had some romantic history. Very clear that they don't know each other uh, up until this point that we see them in the finale. I'm sad that my theory didn't pan out, but I actually like the dynamic that we saw in the finale. And I think that even though there isn't history between them in the past, I'm really excited about the future. I'm really excited about the future between these two characters. I think there's a lot of potential there. But yeah, that theory is dead. That theory's head has exploded like Cisco's. I love, though, that this was more... That just there's a there's a subtlety to it that that you're right that there is it's more of a character note or it leads you down a path where you can foresee the possibility that DDP might actually get through to Darlene that totally. there may be some common ground there common ground that we noticed that we pointed to okay why are we finding out that DDP has this Jersey history why are we finding out about her personal life and seeing these facts about her but now that we know all that we know it's not leading to something narratively in terms of this is a plot point that's coming it's leading to actually really good character development that will support where the plot goes in terms of ddp and darlene if ddp breaks through so i think this is even better actually even though i was in love with the ddp no i'm with you i think this is even better 
Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I liked that theory. I thought it was really good. I thought it had some juice. And I think the things that we were seeing is actually we weren't seeing, um, you know, echoes of the past. I think that we were seeing the start of something that's going to be developing in the future. So we were still noticing things. We're still noticing common bonds between them. We're noticing someone in Dom who had a bad experience with a relationship and a proposal, a marriage proposal. And with Darlene, who has also had bad history with marriage proposals. And now that person is gone. Um, So these two, you know, not only do they have New Jersey, Jersey is common ground. Romantic histories are similar. They're just not intertwined with each other. So I think that they're going to have a lot to talk about when we get to see more scenes with DDDP in the future. No RIP for our Scott Knowles theory. That is alive. That is alive and well. Scott Knowles is indeed the person who's been trolling Joanna Wellick all season long, but it is Joanna who gets to have the last laugh in that regard. Did you like that? That was a good reveal. Yeah, good point. Alive. I wouldn't say necessarily well. There's no, some issues unwell. with Scott and Oles. He's just unwell. kind of been... He, he and Carlo Rossi have become best friends. Like <laughs> This is a really rough existence for Scott and Oles. He's Isn't like, Carlo yeah. Rossi the person who plays Darlene? <laughs> yes, that's exactly. It's Carlo Chaykin, I think yeah. is his name. Oh, got yeah, her it, name. Got yeah. It, got no, this is a uh, yeah. This is a, a bad, a bad Scott Knowles. Bad Scott Knowles. This is a really rough uh, patch that Scott Knowles has hit. Yeah, his pregnant wife did get murdered, and yes, he did. Put the mask on and burn the money in front of everyone in shame. So these are really bad things that have happened to Scott Knowles. But man, Scott Knowles in a really rough place. Like this is, he's red wine. I smelled the red wine, Josh. I smelled the tannins through my computer, through my television. I can still smell them. They're out of my breath, I, I assure you. The terroir of uh, Mr. Robot. It's very serious. Very serious stuff. Fertile ground for some very drunk people who are going to be very, very angry and aggressive. We'll talk about Scott Knowles. Of course, R.I.P. Mobley and Trenton eventually. I mean, they're alive right now. They are in, where are they? They're somewhere in the, uh, you you thought it was Arizona, you said to me. I'm pretty positive that's Arizona because of three things. Palm trees, Fry's Electronics, boring existence. Uh, But also because they're earlier in the season, we pointed to that. When Darlene suggested it could be worse, you could be alive in Arizona rather than be dead. Darlene Lucille bluffed her way through that. So, yeah, we, we come to think that they're probably out there in Arizona. and But unfortunately, as you're pointing out, maybe not for long. And definitely RIP to Mobley anyway. Josh, our son prefers to be called Frederick now. Oh, that's right. Frederick. Yes. yes. I, I like Frederick. Friedrich. Yeah. Friedrich. Listen, yeah. I'm a big supporter of letting your children be and do who they, who they want to be, do what they want to do. So if he wants to be called Frederick, it's Frederick. I'm fine with yeah. that. Let yeah. your let your Friedrich flag fly. Let your Friedrich uh, flag fly. And yeah, they're still alive. But uh, for now, Leon is visiting. But uh, we'll talk about that. I have some good yeah. theories about that. Leon's visiting, and the last time we saw Leon face people that he was in opposition with, he stabbed them in the butt. So I'm very worried for Mobley and Trenton's butts right now. <laughs> if they are, in fact, in opposition. That's what we'll talk about. Incidentally, it's kind of amazing uh, that uh, Leon stabbed someone in the butt, and no one has picked up until now, at least we haven't, that uh, Leon is played by Joey Badass. Ah, that is a badass, one that has been stabbed. <laughs> yes, the, you're Joey, right about Joey's, that. <laughs> Joey stabbed ass. This is the quality uh, podcasting that everyone's been looking forward to, Josh. It, indeed, indeed. You know, shifting away from Mobley. And Trenton, we also got closure on Romero, their old F Society buddy, R.I.P. Romero, killed by a stray bullet. A stray bullet, which I think is... Not on the list of suspects. No, no we didn't have that one. We didn't mark down stray bullet from... Didn't have that on the bingo card. He has... Uh, the character Romero in, in season one remarked about living in a bad neighborhood, and we're seeing the facts of that. And that's uh, that's not an R.I.P. That's a welcome to life or welcome to being alive. 
drive that gave Relo Princip a well-placed bullet in there at the right time kind of thing where this bullet at the wrong time set F Society aflutter and put them into very bad positions. They thought the Dark Army was killing people, but again, who's really oppositional? We'll talk about that. But yeah, wasn't Romero being killed by the Dark Army after all? Just a stray bullet at the wrong time. Terrible way to go. Terrible way to go. Really love that call back to Romero's bad neighborhood. I had completely forgotten about that. One of the things that I got to do this week for the Hollywood Reporters, I got to talk to the man himself, Sam Esmail, creator of Mr. Robot. Your friend and mine, Antonio Sam Esmail, who reminded me about that when I asked him, should we take it at face value that Romero was indeed killed by a stray bullet? And Sam Esmail reminded, yep, there was a line about that in season one. So that's a great payoff on the long game. I really, really enjoy that. I think that that's a great twist. R.I.P. Romero. That's very sad. R.I.P. everybody at the E-Corp facility that's going to get blown up as part of Stage 2, should that come to pass, Antonio. That is, Stage 2 is going to be eradicating the paper trail equivalent of what has already been encrypted in the first wave of the 5-9 hack. This is potentially a very, very big deal and a very violent step forward for Elliot. Yeah, I like that the the, the hacking or the destruction of E-Corp is like a, is like a wedding anniversary thing. Like it starts with something electronic, then it goes to something paper. Uh, we're going to do the wood copy next, so we're going all the way down. I think the fifth time they do it, they have to do something leather maybe, so this is going great. Yeah, I love this. No, we found out what Stage 2 was, Josh, and we found out what Stage 2 is. It is not currently executed. It is in the process. Clearly, that's going to be a point of contention between Elliot and other involved parties going forward into Season 3. We also found out that Angela is now part of this plan, White Rose, uh, and all the mind-screwing that was going on there in that crazy dark room with the mini-me, apparently it worked because Angela is all in now. So I like that. I like that we're getting payoffs to these things. The, the, The through line in all of this really is that we spent a lot of time on Mr. Robot doing the going down the robot hole, as we talk about. We, we spent a lot of time in investigating all of these clues and hints, things like DDP talking about growing up in New Jersey and, and speculating on that. That's what we do. But I like that we're seeing value in that, that, yes, we may not have been correct about DDP, about the fact that it was actually Darlene and DDP who were previously involved. But in the speculating, we're talking about things that are going to be vital to the story and that are important and that will matter. So it does matter that they were talking about those facts. It just matters in a different way. So I like that again with Angela, we have a lot of, in the first part of this finale, like WTF, what is going on? Why is this happening? We now see the ultimate goal is to get Angela to work with the Dark Army and to be involved in this probably as leverage against Elliot. She's the perfect person to ultimately do that. It's a matter of getting her on your side, but also as leverage against Philip Price. There's a lot there as well. So I really like this about the show, that there is reward to everything that we're poking around at, even if it's not the reward that we're necessarily finding moment to moment. We're right about a lot of it, though, Josh, as you're pointing out. And RIP to the portion of people who were not thrilled with the finale. You know, there's certainly people out there who did not care for the season two finale. There's certain people along the way who have not enjoyed season two of Mr. Robot, certainly as much as you and I have, at least, Antonio. You and I have been really in on this second season of Mr. Robot, but there's definitely been a response from people that listen to our podcast that we have heard from already, certainly people who were not thrilled with that finale. So maybe we'll talk that through. Maybe we'll provide some closure for you, maybe some clarity for the people who didn't care for it as we talk 
talk through everything in this episode. Uh, or maybe you're out on Mr. Robot, and you know, that's your thing, too. But I think that you and I were both really satisfied for the reasons that you just outlined. I think that we've been following a lot of this stuff closely. A lot of things have been paid off, not exactly in the ways that we expected them to. And there's still plenty of questions hanging in the air. And, of course, there ought to be because there's still more show to make. Uh, you know, it's not like everything can be resolved by the end of season two. And I think that they've left some very interesting things up in the air while also offering closure on a lot of different threads, small and large. Uh, I'm happy with it, but I totally understand that some people are not. Yeah, and uh, we should say the vast majority of the feedback we got about this episode was positive. People have issues. I think one of the issues when you get into speculating about various theories and you do go down that robot hole is when your theories don't pay off or when you feel like you've put a lot of energy and time and effort into speculating about things that aren't necessarily where the show is going. It feels like you don't have the connection with the show that is rewarding and that makes you feel like all these things are worth paying off. I hope and I don't think I think uh, we've talked about very good things here on this podcast throughout the season. I hope nobody bails on the show that were disappointed with the finale because they wanted to see the three days, for example, that Elliot lost. There are still very good things out there for this show to show us in, th- in season three and beyond. So I'm looking forward to that. That's why I ultimately was very satisfied with the finale because I felt like it gave me closure and clarity on a couple of things that I wouldn't have wanted to go into an off season without clarity on. I wouldn't wanted to i would i needed to know what was up with tyrell if we didn't know if tyrell was real or not going into the summer i would have been very confused and very concerned about can i draw this out anymore where are we going with this and i don't want to spend all summer wondering if we're in elliot's lucid dream i love that clarity i love that the show is paying off things at the pace that i want them to maybe it's not fast enough for everybody else there are some important and and interesting things to talk about with that but i'm I'm glad for the people that are all in on this and i hope uh, everyone is as rewarded as we are Excited because a lot of people I know who were watching Mr. Robot in season one, who binged Mr. Robot in season in season one, did not watch season two and have not watched season two yet and have been waiting to binge watch season two. And as we've said all along, I am really curious to see how that plays. So I'm looking forward to getting those takes. Anyway, those are all like snapshot hot takes of the overview of the episode. I'm glad we got all that out on the table because it's a complicated episode. Lots of different plot developments for different characters. I think setting all that up up front is really good before we do the deep dive into the episode but i'm ready antonio i'm ready to do the deep dive if you are i am ready i should say before we do the deep dive one of our friends aj mass just did a binge of season two catching up for the finale he oh said i mr. know he said mr robot is his number one show of all time Josh. that's a really that's a really really big statement and it would be really great if we could get aj mass on the podcast to talk about that a little bit more so we'll have to, we'll i think have to that, work on that we'll have to work on that i think that antonio and i are working on a few off-season podcasts uh you know we've been on robot road for a while since the beginning of may technically i think end of april was our first mr robot podcast antonio um haven't skipped a week since other than the two that i was gone and mike blue very helpfully stepped in in my place um we've been going for a while and just because season two is over i don't think that we are done might not be every week but i think that we have a few other podcasts that we're going to try and roll out in the weeks ahead at least and over the next month and i think some of them are going to be pretty cool so we'll talk about that as those come up but for now Let's do the deep dive into this episode. 
Are you ready? I am ready. Sorry about that. I, I distracted no. you from the original. No, are you ready? It's perfect. Now we're both ready. Now we are both prepared. And we, you know, we start with Elliot and Tyrell. You just talked about Elliot and Tyrell as a cliffhanger that is not existing anymore. We have resolution on Tyrell's existence. He is indeed alive. This episode begins. Part two of the finale begins with a look back at Coney Island. That scene with Tyrell and Mr. Robot in season one where Tyrell is visiting Mr. Robot in the SUV. We don't know yet at that point in time on the first watch that Mr. Robot and Elliot are the same guy. So that scene has always been really interesting upon reflection. What's great this time is no sign of Christian Slater. We are seeing Rami Malek in robot mode. We have seen Rami Malek in robot mode in the past for sure. There have certainly been moments we saw him t- you know, put on the F-Society mask, the, uh, the, the bourgeoisie mask. We saw him become Mr. Robot in front of Darlene. But this is a maskless Elliot as Mr. Robot, and it's a really, really cool look. It's a really cool look to see this sort of from Tyrell's perspective, I would guess. Yeah, from Tyrell's perspective, I think is the best way to put it because we have seen this scene before from from the same exact perspective, really. If you go back and look at this scene from season one, as you're talking about, the blocking matches specifically and totally. The way that everything is positioned, everything is perfectly on point. So this is just a, a redo of that scene. And you're right. We had actually wanted this. We had said on this podcast previously, boy, it would be great if we could see this scene from that perspective. And here we get it. And it's awesome. Rami Malek in talking, robot mode not giving the speech as as mr f society wearing the mask which is i think where we've most commonly seen remy malik doing that work or doing that we heard that a lot in season one we're seeing him unmasked but yet still mr robot here i don't know if we have hope for seeing the version of the scene with romero and the gun to his head uh, from season one we're not going to see that version i don't think but this was a perfect one to bring back because josh We didn't get the second part of this scene, which we get in this episode, which is after they get out of the SUV. That is something we did not see in season one. Yeah, we see Tyrell. He follows Elliot out of the car. He follows Elliot out of the car and chases him down, basically, and says, I believe in fate. There's a reason we met. There's something between us. Uh, And Elliot responds by saying, you're only seeing what's in front of you. You're not seeing what's above you, which is a line that Tyrell is going to recite to Joanna later on after this moment back in season one where he's talking about good. Uh, So that's coming from Elliot. And, you know, that really that's great because that connects the line that we got from Tyrell earlier in the season when Elliot places the call to him. And Tyrell says, remember when we were gods when we stood there and we were gods. So that all stems from Elliot, at least Tyrell's interpretation of all that. But it seems like Elliot is really just stonewalling him and not wanting anything to do with it until Tyrell talks about his father and he recites this red wheelbarrow poem, you know, the red wheelbarrow, which has been a touchstone throughout season two. Uh, And he recites the poem and he says it's the only English his father ever knew and he wants nothing to do with his father. He wants to be nothing like his father ever. He never wants to become that man. And that seems to really resonate with Elliot Alderson in Mr. Robot mode. This version of Elliot is a guy who really does not care for his father very much. So to hear Tyrell say something like that, I think it's finally a moment where he's like, okay, I can connect with that. I can work with that. Maybe we do have something in common after all. Well, there's great connection there, as you're pointing out, with the daddy issues or with issues with dads. The connection there is very is very relevant to what we've seen on the show, of course. But it is one of those things that we've seen a little bit of the, on the show, and Joanna Wellick is probably the best example of this with Scott Knowles, but it is exposing something that can be exploited, as you're pointing out. And you call it common ground. We, we can call it whatever we want to call it. It's something where Tyrell is clear 
clearly vulnerable in that moment. He's basically weeping in that moment. And when he's talking about his father and the poem and the red wheelbarrow being the connection there and having that there on the surface, at least it's something evidently where Tyrell has a weakness that can be exploited. His weakness is power, his desire not to be like his father, his desire not to have that life and his desire to be something different as manifested by him reciting that poem in times where he needs to be reminded of that. So right away we, we see this exposed as Tyrell. And I like the clarity on that because we didn't really understand where Tyrell was coming from, a lot of his arc in season one. He's the guy who's kicking and beating homeless people, paying them to do it. He's the guy who clearly wants to be CTO, the youngest executive doing Linux, using Linux, all these things we know about him from season one. But man, he came unraveled really quickly throughout the course of season one. Uh, he went from this cold Patrick Bateman-esque guy to a guy who was legitimately committing murder by the end of the season, and all because he was speaking these delusions of grandeur about gods and things like that, and we have to look up in the sky. So we haven't had a ton of clarity on that. I like that we're getting that filled in in a chronological way, even though it's airing out of sequence. We're seeing a scene from the timeline of season one where Tyrell is in between, where Elliot is someone that he's reaching out to and that that there's something that's being exposed where Tyrell is really frayed at the edges and a lot of what he puts forward is a mask or is something that he's representing to the world when inside or when he's carrying around with him a lot of vulnerability and seeing that vulnerability and realizing that Elliot recognizes it and it probably can be exploited. I think that's awesome that we're getting and filling in a lot of these gaps from season one. Um, This is a show that exists as a living, breathing document where it's evolving. And I love that. I love that things that are happening in season two that change the way you look at season one, as we've talked about. And I still believe that at some point in this show, we're going to pull back the curtain enough that we're going to rewatch season one and get new meaning out of a lot of what we're seeing. And I still think that that's coming vis-a-vis White Rose and the Dark Army and the greater plan that's in play there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I really like you pointing out that Elliot could be seeing Tyrell's, you know, I, I said like a common ground, a common bond, but you used the word exploit. And I like that. Hadn't even really thought about it, but that makes perfect sense based on what we know of the Mr. Robot side of Elliot and how he does really enjoy his exploits, certainly with Elliot. And he, you know, he started off by trying to be sort of paternal inside of Elliot's mind and try to guide him by being this vision of his father. And that's clearly changed the relationship between them is probably permanently damaged. Maybe not. Ask Mobley and Trenton and maybe not anything is permanently damaged. But I think it's pretty broken right now. But it makes me wonder, you know, what does Mr. Robot actually think of Tyrell? What does that side of Elliot actually think of Tyrell? Does he look at Tyrell and see a willing soldier? Does he see in Tyrell somebody who is willing to commit to the sacred pact in a way that Elliot never did? Does this part of Elliot see in Tyrell, somebody who is actually going to be able to execute the plans that he wants to execute. So I think that that dynamic is really cool. I think that the dynamic between Elliot and Tyrell in total is very, very fascinating to me. Certainly with Elliot Prime and Tyrell, there's a lot to chew on there, as we'll talk about at the end of the episode. But I think the Mr. Robot side in Tyrell, that's such a curious relationship, and I can't wait to see that explored in Season 3. And it's a really great scene between them here in the, in the Season 2 finale. I can't either. And a lot of there's a lot of concern 
concern about, well, not a lot of concern, but I think people who were frustrated with the Tyrell storyline in season two were frustrated that he didn't come back to the surface quicker, that we didn't get a resolution on that story more quickly, that it is something that we could have resolved in a different way. But I like what you're saying, which is that we see this dynamic evolving in this last episode of season two such that I think that that will be a big focus of season three is the dynamic between the two of them. And if you burn all that out in season two, Josh, I want this show to last as long as it should. And I want it to last four or five seasons, whatever Sam Esmail and the team want. That's what I want. I don't want it to burn through the entire story in two or three episodes or two or three seasons in, in a way that doesn't enhance the story. I like the depth that we got. I like that we took time with Elliot having to deal with everything that was the revelation that he had Mr. Robot living inside his head, that he was seeing his dead father. I like that the story is honest and real in that way, that it does justice to the characters, that it isn't something like Dexter, where something bad happens and Dexter shakes it off in the course of one or two episodes and that's it. I like that as 100%. A, yeah, it's building and it's something... It's a great example. Yeah, you can't walk, <laughs> you can't walk yeah. away from these things. You can't, you can't have Elliot figure out everything about Mr. Robot and then lose three days and fight with Mr. Robot in the finale and be dealing with And then with get that. right back to hacking. Yes, and then get right back to, oh, here's Tyrell, here's the rest. We have to deal with that. This character is going to deal with that and he's going to do a lot of what we saw with him doing in jail. So I like that and I like that Elliot tied it back together by the end of this episode by saying, what can I do to get rid of this guy? I've tried overdosing on Adderall. I even got myself arrested, which I want to talk to you about that, uh, the got myself arrested yes, part yes. of that. But I, I do like that that dynamic is something that is that this show has been honest with and paid attention to and paid the correct amount of service to. And I think that if you get right to the Elliot and Tyrell dynamic in this season, rather than giving it a lot of room to breathe in the next season, after you've let Elliot and Mr. Robot breathe in this season, I think that the, I really think that, that, that this show is doing the right thing by Tyrell and by Elliot, by letting that dynamic have its own space. I love this scene. I love the way, as I said, that it ties into what we know about Tyrell. I would say the tinfoil hat part of me, and I don't believe this, but if you wanted to read into this and you wanted to exist in a world where Elliot and Tyrell and Angela have all been mind effed by White Rose at some point, that this red wheelbarrow poem may be some kind of verbal cue or some kind of, if you want to put it in the Manchurian candidate perspective, whatever it is, that there may be some more meaning to this specific red wheelbarrow reference than just Tyrell saying that because Elliot does write it on the cover of his journal. We see it in other places throughout this second season that we've highlighted. So maybe it doesn't just all boil down to some poem that Tyrell's father recited to him and that is like a talisman or something like a totem, something that represents something to Tyrell that it actually has more meaning to other characters. That's the thing I'd be paying attention to about Tyrell reciting this poem in this moment to Elliot to try to break barriers down and to build some kind of connective tissue. And it does have that effect. So is, that, is there more significance to that poem? That's something that I think we'll continue to track in season three. All right, well, we'll talk about that in a second. I just really do want to say, again, I love your Dexter comparison. There is a moment in Dexter, no spoilers, there is a moment in Dexter that is by far and away the biggest moment in the whole show. Uh, there is a thing that happens in Dexter's life, and the response to that thing is something that you're going to be very curious to see how Dexter handles in a subsequent season. And the way the show responded to that moment is the reason why I think Dexter sucks in its second half of its series, which is a big chunk of show. And it, yeah, uh, anyone who's seen Dexter knows exactly what you're talking about and and go ahead 
No, and it, I just think that that's a great example, and I think you know to really drill down into 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 moments that are that are like the moments that happen to you, like the ones you remember in your life, the big ones, the nuclear bombs that are dropped in your life, to really stop down and absorb the radiation and process what that means. I think is so so crucial, not just in life, but certainly in storytelling, to be really honest to the character. And I think that that is such a it's such a great comparison because that's a show to me that really bungled that kind of idea. And I think, Mr. Robot, for my money, it's what I said a few weeks ago, that I think that this isn't a show starring a guy named Elliot Alderson and it's a hacking drama. It's a show about a guy who happens to be a hacker who is also dealing with this very, very you know, enormous, enormous shift, this seismic shift in his life that is having a seismic shift for the rest of the world as a result. So I think to really do justice to that relationship, I think that was so clutch. I think that was so key. I think that's a huge part of why I loved season two and a big, big part of why I think Dexter blows. Anyway, no, let's no, move listen, on. Listen, no, I, I, I want to say I, en- I enjoyed Dexter. There were a lot of Dexter compa- I enjoyed Dexter for a while. A lot of Dexter comparisons at the very beginning of Mr. Robot with Elliot keeping almost like a, th- a thing of blood slides and his hacks were like Dexter's kills and he only hacks bad people uh, or only really destroys them, bad people, all of that, fine, whatever. It's not the same thing. This is USA, Josh. Characters are welcome here. And we had a great email <laughs> from Uday Verma and Uday went into a very good comparison of different TV shows like Sopranos and Mad Men that Uday says he feels are more character-based but that ultimately they, that, that they were looking at Mr. Robot as more of a plot-heavy kind of narrative show and that spending time on characters is what ultimately felt different or weird for them. I think that this is not how I feel. I feel like this is a character show. It's always been about this really unusual character, the kind of character who I think a lot of people, including myself and others, see parts of themselves in when he talks about how he feels about society or isolation or the things that Elliot's voice, Elliot's voice is unique enough, Josh, that it won an Emmy with Remy Malek's portrayal of this character. So this is a unique character. This is a character who exists on a show that was also really riveting from a plot standpoint, especially early on, but you can't do justice to the character without spending the time. And I really like that that's happening. For other people, maybe that's not what they expected out of the show, and so they're looking at this thing and saying, it's more like Lost. I wanted this show to be like Lost, not like Lost at the end, where Lost said it's about the characters, but Lost at the beginning, where I thought it was about the mystery and the plot. And I think Mr. Robot does a really good job of balancing those two things out. But I think other people, their perspective is a little different maybe they feel like this show is spending too much time on character or whatever for me for you it sounds to me like that's one of the things we really like about this show so yeah. there's a there's the dichotomy i think that is forming there uh between people who maybe uh who maybe just want the plot to just fly through the show and it to be over in two seasons i guess uh, and to not spend these time with the characters but i'm glad that we spend the time that we do and angela is another big part of this that we'll talk about in in this episode yeah, totally. No, completely agreed on literally everything you just said. All right, let's move All right, forward. We're done through then. Podcast the ep- over. Perfect. <laughs> Podcast done. No more podcasts ever again. Podcasts have been finished. Like All right, kid. let's move on. Tyrell and Elliot, they are going to go to Tyrell's secret dark army headquarters, and there is going to be a man there. Speaking of Red Wheelbarrow, who is eating some Red Wheelbarrow BBQ. Yeah, Elliot assumes this man 
is somehow connected to the Dark Army. This man is Asian. Uh, he's dressed up in some kind of weird white suit. He looks like maybe Mike TV and Willy Wonka, like he's going to go <laughs> do something crazy like that. We don't really know what role this guy has. Elevator Porter is one of them. He gets them into a, a service elevator. They go up to a different floor. Elliot's very confused by all of this, obviously. Uh, Elliot has no idea what's going on. He says it's one thing to question your mind. It's another thing to question your eyes and ears. But aren't our eyes and our ears our mind? Our, our senses are just mediocre inputs for our brain. Can we really trust what's going on? This is what's in Elliot's head. I love the voiceover here because Elliot's dealing with what he calls a garbled reality, a fuzzy picture that he'll never truly make out. And we know Elliot struggles with this. He may have even been in this very building before, Josh. Tyrell tells him, like, you set this all up. How do you not know what we're doing here? And he's very concerned about his state of mind, what he calls his disposition. But uh, yeah, it's something that's really rattling Tyrell. But I love that Elliot has no memory of this, no idea. And this may well be a room that he set up. He might have set everything up there. Yeah, no, he probably did. Probably did, did, probably. Elliot probably knows this place unbeknownst to him. He probably knows this place decently well. But Elliot really does not have any memory of this. This is all stuff from the three days that are gone for him. Probably the three days that really solidified Tyrell's feelings for Elliot. Um, So he really doesn't... Yeah, he really doesn't know. He really doesn't know where he's at. He doesn't know what's going on. He's starting to put together that he himself is at the heart of this. But he has no memory, no recollection of any of that. And he even doesn't really know how to engage Tyrell right now. Um, He says to Tyrell, your wife, Joanna, she's been looking for you. And Tyrell, he kind of takes that. I don't know how he takes it. He sort of takes it, takes it hard. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he, he's professional about it. He's calm about it. He's measured about it, but it certainly apparently affects him, visibly affects him. Uh, And he says, I'm doing what's necessary. And I don't know about for you, but for me in that moment, without him being like, but Elliot, I've been sending her gifts and I've been calling her and stuff. Like for me in that moment, that's clear to me that Tyrell hasn't been the one who's in contact with Joanna. So this is the moment in the episode where I'm like, all right, sweet. So the Scott Knowles thing is going to pay off. Yeah, and Tyrell is not, he's not happy. He's not pleased. He's like, why you got to bring my wife into this, bro? But yeah, it's not something that this is, uh, this is Tyrell's been, he's a man on a mission. He's, this is not Tyrell's crash pad. Elliot thinks that this is where Tyrell has been living and Tyrell kind of turns his nose up at it. Like, no, come on, give me a break. You know, this is not where I'm staying, bro. I'm not sleeping on that mattress over there but yeah this is a, do you see the suit i'm wearing i'm still living the highlight yeah, this is bro. ferragamo yeah th- this is not ultimately where ferragamo. this is not ultimately where where tyrell has been living but tyrell knows about this space he's very concerned as i said that elliot does not know about the space elliot brings joanna into it tyrell says i'm doing what is necessary we get a look at the brownouts we see the ups is there uh the 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 power sources that are there on their own uh that are helping power and keep these systems online. Um, we find out later that that's going to play a much bigger role in stage two, not these particular ones, but other ones. So yeah, this is a, we're, we're like Elliot in that we're seeing this for the first time, but feeling like there is something more significant to this location. Elliot in voiceover is even saying like, ah, Mr. Robot set this up basically. Like, yeah, I understand yeah. that I wasn't here, but he was, and I'm going to have to deal with that again. So this is, again, I really like Elliot's voiceover 
over here because it does serve to establish exactly how we're feeling. Like, what is our reality? We're only knowing what we take in through our senses, but are we being shown the right thing? Can we remember something that we maybe should have remembered but don't? Like, all these things are, are totally relevant to us as viewers as well as Elliot as a person in the middle of this scene. So I'm liking the depth of, of what's happening here. Anything else to talk about with Elliot and Tyrell right now before we move on? It's going to be a little while before we come back to them. No, Tyrell ends the scene by saying, ready to look at what we accomplished and sits Elliot down. Yeah, so we'll get back to what he has accomplished and what Elliot thinks of all of that. Let's get into the breaking of the DDDP. It's not a real thing. We see. Yeah, Dom- I, have a qu- I have a question for you, Josh. Are you ready to take your jacket off, hon? No, don't call me Han Boo. Uh, It's got got stuff all over. You got some Cisco on you. Yeah, you got you got some Cisco on you. So yeah, so she is hanging out here. She's in the interrogation room. She is talking to Darlene. She's got Santiago in there as well. This is the great scene where Santiago burns burn notice. This isn't burn notice. There are no blue skies for you. Characters like you are not welcome here. A little goofy, but kind of cute. I like it. You know, it's it's very silly, but maybe a little too silly for some the meta aspect of it is what i love of course because those are all disses on well not disses they may be loving loving snipes or swipes at loving USA. jabs loving, loving jabs, jabs at, at usa. usa the home of mr robot everyone has said since mr robot debuted on usa like what is this doing on usa i'm shocked i thought usa was the blue skies programming network that was and the santiago agrees yes there are no blue skies for you out there uh, usa was the home of burn notice characters like you were not speaking of shows where they there are no consequences for the characters where they go right back to their jobs. And even if they live through a horrific thing, like seeing someone get shot right in front of them, they're back in the job right away. Things like that are what USA has done more of more recently. And Mr. Robot certainly is not of a piece with those kind of shows. So it does fit in that way. It is over the top for Santiago, obviously just like you're not on a TV show pointing all these things out. But I, I did laugh. I loved it. I love when that happened. I love that. I also love Darlene in this scene. Just basically repeating, you pull the string and she says one thing, I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination and respectfully yeah. decline to answer Straight firming it. Yes. Listen, uh, straight firming it. Yes, exactly. Uh, not exactly the same situation. As a lawyer, this is good advice. This is what you do. But this is bad for Darlene because the Patriot Act doesn't apply to her. Yeah, it doesn't apply to her. Well, the Patriot Act does yeah. apply to her. She doesn't have those rights really in this moment. Right. So she's, you know, she's saying all this stuff. She's really not going to be able to help herself out of the situation. You know, she's a good talker. She's able to convince people to do a lot of things. There's just too much against her here. She's not going to be able to get out of this situation. This scene makes it very clear that Dom and Darlene have never met before, uh, other than, you know, at the restaurant, of course. But Dom is trying to offer her condolences about Cisco. We're getting confirmation that Cisco is dead here. We will never see Cisco again, at least in a modern context. Possible that we get some sort of flashback appearance from him again i bet the show really loves working with the actor whose name i'm blanking on but he's not jerry ferrara uh so i so i would expect that nice he's of probably... you to give that guy all the credit he deserves by comparing him to a guy that is very vaguely like him yeah i apologize i like cisco a whole lot more now that we've gotten him through season two and i think that uh it's it's sad what happened to him i think it's probably good for the story that he's removed at the time that he's removed but a really really brutal ending for a guy who i think revealed himself to be one of the you know closer to white 
white hats of all these people who are wearing gray hats. Uh, he is the guy who is moral enough to be like, we got to take your friend. We got to take your soldier here to the hospital. We can't just kill him. He, you know, that's one of the final things he ever says in his life. So there's a lot about Cisco that I do find value in toward the end of this season. And clearly he's gone. So RIP Cisco. That's very sad. The actor's name uh, is Michael Dreyer. Uh, he's not dead as far as I know. So not RIP Michael to Michael Dreyer. Dreyer. But yeah, this is, you're right. I like that about Cisco. It is interesting as you're pointing out that he died in part because he did good things. He died in part because he insisted on taking the guy to the hospital. He died in part because he stuck his neck out against the dark army to protect F society, perhaps not realizing that F society might have been protected vis-a-vis Elliot, that in fact, the people in F society maybe are not as in as much trouble. And we'll talk about that final credit scene. But I like that about Cisco, that in fact, part of the reason why he's gone is because he was too good for this world and not, not the reverse verse Gideon died as well Gideon also may be too good for this world maybe a guy who was just trying to do the right thing whether or not he got killed by a random guy who happened to be strapped when he ran into him and also had homicidal intent uh, your mileage may vary maybe we'll never know maybe we'll find out more in a later season but in terms of Cisco it is very clear the through line is you stuck your neck out you did things that were against the dark army you're putting yourself out there and protecting other people uh, as opposed to just being a soldier and you know too much and the FBI is on to you as a result and now you are dead and he's dead for for being a good person in many respects yeah well we also see Darlene's reaction to it because Dom keeps pressing it and he's like I'm, I'm really you know I'm really sorry about what happened probably authentically means it because I think fundamentally Dom is a straight shooter uh, so I don't think that she would just be BSing about this I think that she feels genuine sympathy for Darlene and certainly wants to turn Darlene we also get here Darlene's reaction to what's going on. And I'm curious what you think about this. She's clearly traumatized, you would think. Or is this just the Darlene that we've seen before who's just, you know, a little bit Daria-like, you know, is just, like, very monotonous sometimes and is just droning and is just really like, no, don't bother with me, don't F with me, I'm tough, I don't need this. But she's clearly, clearly, to me at least, pretty broken up by what's gone on. What's your interpretation of what's going on with Darlene? A lot of that, what you're talking about, that facade or whatever it is, that is a facade. The thing that we love about Darlene. The thing that we love about Darlene is not what we see from Darlene behind closed doors in the bathroom in the premiere of this season. When she's shirtless on the floor having a panic attack. When we find out in In It 1, when she shows up to Elliot's house on Halloween that she really needs to be there. We don't yet know what was going on in her life at the time, but she says In It 1 as almost a code word. Like, I need you like this is our thing that we say to each other when i want you to know i'm being serious and i'm being real and so we know that that darlene exists we have to keep in mind that darlene was raised by an abusive mother doesn't really remember her dad doesn't have the positive memories that we know elliot probably has in many respects has not but negative memories or nothing and only has the stuff regarding her mom in play so that is something that darlene is carrying around with her as the person that she is so i do think a lot of that stuff we're seeing from Darlene normally is a facade and I think it's really tough to keep up that facade in light of the fact that she's wearing her boyfriend around her neck or parts of him that she's just witnessed a horrific incident and we get a little bit of that when she's talking to DDP here when she says I went and met my boyfriend we went to eat he got shot end of Q&A that's a, a more stark representation of what she says later when she says 
I got this combo. He asked for more of my bacon. Uh, he stole my bacon. Like there is, there is this escalating thing. And I really like how this all plays out uh, in this scene. If we can c- continue talking about Darlene and DDP rather than continue chronologically, is that all right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I like that Darlene, that DDP is going and saying, hey, we're both typical Jersey girls. Typical Jersey girls. We're both typical Jersey girls. That is something that is happening. Uh, we're making these connections. By the end of the day, I'm going to be your best friend. We actually see DDP arguing with Santiago to let her be the person, to let her go in and do these things alone. We see this playing out because when they go back, DDP is basically saying like, hey, your friend, he's going to be fine in the hospital. But you know what? He's a domestic terrorist, so he's going to go to jail. Darlene is being snide again, saying, oh, politicians teabag us, but they can't take it. And DDP is, oh, yeah, that's really funny. I actually thought that was pretty good. Uh, But I also heard you were the leader of this whole deal. Darlene's like, I'm not the leader. I can't even keep a guy. They're playing really friendly, and it's really fun. But I think this, the way this conversation progresses does start to point out, as you're saying, that Darlene is in a really rough spot. She can probably be taken advantage of right now because of what happened. And clearly DDP recognizes that and does find a way. And the reveal ultimately about the moth and the flame with the song playing when Darlene looks at the Pepe Sylvia, the map that's on the uh, wall, the, the the list of all the characters, everything that's in play there by the end of that. Lockdown, by the, blast door by map. By the blast door map. By the time that's all said and done, and, and we've picked over that extensively, we're going to see a Darlene who I think is very susceptible because the facade is, is going to be knocked down, and then you're going to expose all the panic, the anxiety, the vulnerability, the things that feed into that facade and make her put it up in the first place are all going to come busting out and i think ddp is going to be able to take advantage of that yeah and darlene is trying to toss it back at dom as well you know she's trying to say like i know what you're doing you're trying to cozy up to me you're trying to show sympathy don't drop a hard thing C, that, josh you know i'm not going to drop any hard c's <laughs> I'm, I'm not going full bloom okay, right. uh you know but it's really like throwing it back at dom and being like you're terrible if that's what you're trying to do i've just been through a trauma try something new the only statement that i have is that i saw my boyfriend go brainless at dinner i ordered the breakfast combo and he stole some of my bacon if you want any more details than that then that's a d and then dd and then ddp she cracks yeah. up and and comes back i guess that everybody who grew up at this at a this certain time this movie. who lived in New Jersey watched The Careful Massacre because DDP knows it. She knows the movie. She has the tape. She is going to, you know, really throw this out at, at Darlene. And Darlene is still not scared. But Dom also has a bullet casing. She's got a shell casing that is very likely belonging to the gun that Darlene took from her lover back in season one, gave to Elliot, stuffed in the popcorn Tyrell is now in possession of. Uh, and so I don't know why Darlene what, – what's your take on this? Why is that the, why is that the smoking gun? Um, and what, what was that bullet casing ultimately if it's not for Tyrell? Well, that's a good question. That, that, is, a, that is something that's hanging out there. We don't know why there's a spent shell casing directly connected to that gun did elliot go cowboy on this and say listen if someone ever gets in the way shoots in the ceiling you got to take care of business like what is this what happened why was there one shot fired off after elliot pulled that gun out of the popcorn i think at some point we're going to see that and we're going to find out but that's something that's out there right now as far as its significance goes that 
arcade was tied directly to F Society. We know that uh, the FBI has found that. We've seen that location now be something that's tied to the hacker group that was behind the 5-9 hack. Very important place. Here is a piece of evidence that doesn't directly tie Darlene to that location. But we have a witness saying, it came from my gun, and I think this girl stole my gun. Here is a girl who fits the profile of a hacker, who we know more about her online identity. We're starting to track these things down. Other people have pointed to her as a ringleader of F Society. Here is a piece of physical evidence, not someone's testimony, that links her to an F Society scene. That's not a good piece of evidence. It's something a lot more damning than the mask. It's not the same as her fingerprints being found at that site, but it is something pretty significant that could be a problem for Darlene for sure. Clearly, it's not the same thing as seeing everything spelled out in front of you. That's the thing that really rocks her to her core, but I do think the shell casing causes a problem. Darlene's initial response is going to slut shame me all day. Very funny, very typical Darlene, but Darlene is saying, Darlene, that's the, the hammer when DDP drops it. You, st- you sure you still don't want to talk to me? And then we, you know, we progress from there. So it's a building thing. We've seen DDP throughout this season. Maybe stick her neck out a little too far. She goes to Angela. She lets Angela know that she's on the radar, even though they don't really have a ton of evidence against her, as Darlene is saying in her ear. She lets her know that she's on the radar, maybe before she should. Uh, she did the same thing where she pulled Mobley off the street, Josh, and Santiago had beef with that. And that was going a little bit against their strategy, uh, which was the Python strategy. She pulled Mobley in and tried to roll him, left him there overnight, did all these things. So we've seen DDP sticking her neck out throughout the course of this season with regard to this investigation this is that in microcosm really in that she's going to start talking to Darlene the talking's not going to work she's going to start throwing evidence in her face letting her know very specifically the evidence that they have against her that's not going to work we also saw the camera with her saying like oh we've got this camera we found in Cisco's apartment if we find that camera was linked to the 5-9 hack you're in trouble especially if your DNA is on it and Darlene's saying Cisco and I made some freaky videos what are you going to do about it? So Darlene is trying to talk her way and, and do what a lawyer would do, which is say, yeah, that Cisco guy, he was involved in F Society. Too bad he's dead, but it wasn't me, and I didn't have anything to do with it. So that's what Darlene could ultimately do, but with every piece of evidence that points more to her instead of Cisco. And when she sees the final board, I think this is a preponderance kind of thing, if you want to use a legal term, where all these things start piling up and you're realizing, okay, I'm pretty screwed. This isn't something I can just talk my way out of yeah and i mean at this point like dom hasn't even dropped the like the heaviest anvil on her head you know like she hasn't even shown her the blast storm map and she's gonna have a conversation with santiago uh let's do this let's pull the trigger and he's the one who's kind of reluctant on it but dom feels like she has darlene in such a place that now's the time to let you know that it's not just a camera it's not just a bullet casing We've got details on you and everybody. We've got this crazy character web that is going to really solidify for you that we are on your trail. And they're going to Wes Anderson slow walk through the hallways and get to this room that has this map. And Darlene is going to be really severely blown away by what she sees. Uh, what does she say there? She says something amazing. She basically just uh, says, like, she looks at it all. Like, yeah, shit. She <laughs> yeah. says, you've got to be effing kidding me. But the tone yeah, that's right. is more like a shocked kind of tone and not a typical like Darlene like you've got to be effing kidding me is this all you've got like that's not the tone
don't. There's more concern in this. No, it's like you got it. You got everything. You have, you yeah, have it all. Except they don't have it all. There's interesting stuff to be gleaned. Let's talk about this blast door map. Can we get into the Pepe Silvia yeah. of it, Josh? Where is Carol? I'm looking for Carol. <laughs> Well, so there's a couple things that I would love for you to take the wheel on here. And one of which is, of course, let's talk me through the blast door map because I know that you have studied it a lot more closely than I have. But I'd also love for you to kind of walk through what this Python strategy is that Dom lays out. It's the name of the episode. This two-part finale is called Python. And Dom is the person who gets to explain what the Python strategy is. And I think it's not just the FBI strategy. I'm sure that you can apply it to several other characters and their machinations that are going on within the world of Mr. Robot. Can you talk through a little bit about what Dom is saying here and make some sense of it? Sure. First and foremost, that I think it also applies to what's going on with the Dark Army vis-a-vis E-Corp and probably what's going on with White Rose vis-a-vis Price. You call it the long game, call it whatever you want. It is a strategy wherein you sit back and you wait for the perfect moment to strike. And that's what the python is a predator that doesn't even need to eat. As DDP points out, some, some varieties cannot even eat more than once in a year. Like this is something where you just have to find that one thing. Do, you know, make, take your one action, get in there at the right time, do this very specific thing and it will work out. In the case of what's happening with the FBI's investigation, call it Operation Berenstein, call it whatever you want. They had 16 different people under surveillance at once, as we found out. And part of what they were doing there was gathering information that allows them to build a map like this so that they don't screw it up because the screwing it up for them would be pulling in a foot soldier off the street, sending up alert flags to everybody that is also involved in that web, and then getting them to scurry such that you'll never see them raise their head again. You want to kill when you get the chance to strike. If you're a python, if you're going to use the energy that you're going to use maybe once or twice a year to eat or to kill prey, you have to do it at the exact right time so that you ensure that it's effective. And for what the FBI is doing, it's a matter of getting what DDP calls the man in the middle, which we'll talk about how the character web is organized, whether that's Tyrell is what it looks like or Elliot slightly off of that. But there are connections there. And DDP says, we didn't want to get the foot soldiers. We didn't want to get the people on the fringes. We wanted to strike at the right time so that we could get the man in the middle. That was the important thing. And, and the, you know, that that's the, the, the upshot of that. And, and DDP points out that, you know, we were trying not to make people scurry, but you guys started scurrying on your own and, you know what did that was a freak accident. A stray bullet went into Romero. You thought that was the Dark Army calling in their chits. It wasn't. It was just a random thing. He lived and in a talk- bad neighborhood. <laughs> he lived in a bad neighborhood. Yes. And you, he 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 lived on a show where Gavrilo Princip and the right bullet fired at the right time, changing the world, uh, can be talked about. So this is one of those instances where a random bullet fired at the wrong place or right place at the wrong time or right time, depending on what on your side perspective. Of that you're on. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, if you're yeah. Romero or not. It's a uh, bad bad place to be for Romero. <laughs> it's a real bad place to be for Romero, who apparently just walks around with a raspberry pie in his hand, Josh. Not uh, for because- nothing, too, by the way. Uh Great Romero's death, when you think back on it, it's not just the Gabriel Princep thing of it all as well. I think it's also, you look back at Romero telling the story of Fun Society and all the different people who owned that place, and they all died in very bizarre ways. Some were murdered, for sure, but many people just, like, there was the one person who, like, fell on a, on a pool cue. Uh, and the way that he died really falls in line, I think, with the past Fun Society owners. So that's another callback as well. 
Good, very good point. And it, and it's the epicenter of evil in the universe, apparently. So if you wanted to buy into that theory, yet more evidence. I, I would not be buying that property, Josh, on Coney Island. I'm not, no, I don't know. stay away, stay away. I don't know what's going on. Stragoy, 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 Stragoy. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a pizza place where uh, somebody's going to eat a piece of pizza at the wrong time. And I don't know, just uh, get diarrhea forever and die. I don't know how that happens. Is that but- are you saying that's what's <laughs> going to happen to me? I was just quoting Mrs. Doubtfire, really. Oh, but yeah. my God. No, I, this, you're right. That's a really good connection this is the kind of thing that exists on this show where things like that have so many layered meanings or connections and in, in romero's case it isn't just that it's it ties into the philip price and the right the bullet fired at the wrong time or the right time it's that it also connects to that arcade it also connects to romero's neighborhood it also connects to the fact that it screws up the python strategy so that even though if you make the best laid plans if you set them out they may not they may go astray like bad things could happen happen and so even though the fbi was sitting there patiently waiting like a python waiting to strike something random happened to set them off and so that is uh, that is really in keeping i think with a lot of what happened so i love that i love that about this this map and i love that about this story that ddp is telling the way the scene is shot we've seen her from this perspective we've seen ddp from this perspective eating a lollipop and staring off into the middle distance in previous episodes in this very room we didn't know at the time what it was but i think she leaves this room to go talk to gideon goddard so this is a this is a board she's been looking at for a really long time uh for probably as long as this investigation has been going on she's been playing the lester freeman role uh trying to follow these trails if you look at the map, it's re- or the, the character map, it's actually pretty well organized. The FBI isn't wrong about a lot of things. They are not fully informed about a lot. For example, there are red X's through people like Gideon Goddard and Francis Shaw, a.k.a. Cisco. But there is not a red X through Susan Jacobs. They don't know yet that she's dead. Right. There is no red X through Mobley at this point. He's just listed as missing. Uh, Thankfully, uh, there's no red X. If there had been a red X through his head, I would have been super upset to find out in that. This podcast would have taken a very different tone. I don't know if I'd be able to do it, man. It'd be so rough. But yeah, indeed. So there are these things that happen, but there are other key things that are out there. For example, Shayla is connected to Elliot Josh. Shayla, who has absolutely nothing to do with the 5-9 hack itself. Shayla, who was not a member of F Society, but who happened to live next door to Elliot Alderson and ended up dead pretty much as a result, is on this map, and she's linked to Elliot. It, there's nothing written there, suspect or anything. It's just a body that they know has some tangential connection to someone involved in the case. I'm actually surprised that we're not seeing Krista and Lenny Michael Shannon on this board, uh, but we're seeing Shayla. So we're seeing people. I think, yeah, I think the Shayla one, I mean, welcome back to Robot Road. Let's go back to season one there. And I think if we were to revisit our podcast of Shayla's death episode, I think we were both very concerned. Like, yo, Elliot, you probably got fingerprints all over that car, man. Like there are people who could probably figure out that you were in that vehicle uh, and Shayla was your neighbor and all of that. So you got to wonder how long has Elliot been on the radar for something like this, that he certainly had to have been, you know, that's got to be a way that he's been connected. Like he's been connected to a dead body. I think that that's got to be a huge part of this. It, it, it would be a huge part of it. It's possible a huge part of it. We talked about how his DNA would possibly be everywhere. Fingerprints in the car, in the trunk, on things that are at the scene. He just walks away from it. 
it, it's very puzzling why Elliot isn't more of an interested, a, par, a person of interest in that crime, especially because Elliot had anger management issues. We know now that that predates the show, that Elliot, when he talks about in Init 1, in the episode where he puts on the Mr. Robot mask at Halloween, he talks about how he was recently fired from his job. And what he got fired for sounds like an appearance of Mr. Robot. He went into the server room. They locked him in the server room because he was doing the very big mistake, the very poor idea that he had was to do his job. He was doing it too well. He was keeping people over a holiday weekend. They put him in the server room, locked him up. He woke up out of something and all the servers were destroyed. And for that, he got sent into the psychiatric treatment with Krista that he was in at the beginning of the season. Anger management. So this is a guy with a history and with a violent history who as yet is not tied to that Shayla crime. When we went on Robot Road and when we watched it, you and I speculated, what's the purpose of this? What's the point of the Veris story is it a side quest are we getting sidetracked from the main story does it add any value to that and i do think that this is yet another point that it could still come back and there could still be something that ties elliot to there i mean it's also important to note as we're looking at the character map here we have shayla but we don't have vera so the fbi knows some things but they don't know everything and that that i think portrays itself throughout the course of this map we see interviews pending include darlene and angela and elliot someone named Shama Biswas, which may be Trenton, may not. Trenton is not actually on this map. There is an avatar of a woman's face that's just kind of a stock photo that is not of her face specifically. She's not in the F Society box, but she is loosely connected to Mobley. So I think there may be some information there that they know there's a female accomplice, but they don't really have much information about her. Maybe her name is Shama Biswas. Maybe it's not, but she's not on this map. So I don't know exactly what the FBI does or doesn't know that's going on there. Josh, I want to talk to you about the biggest key player who probably is not on this map, but we can talk about that. What about White Rose? No White Rose. No White Rose on the map. There's some dark army on there, but we don't see White Rose specifically on the map. No, and we see someone listed as Zhang Jima there. If you look at the subtitles in USA and you look at different places online, Minister Zhang, the what's call it boy mode version of White Rose. Spelled the same way. Spelled the, pub- the same the, way. The public persona of White the Rose. The public persona of White Rose, the Minister of Technology in China, uh, Minister Zhang, is listed like that. We know DDP has reason to be suspicious a little bit of Zhang. She always thought the government knew more about the Dark Army than they were letting on. She thought the fact that the shootout happened in China was really too convenient and that it was probably motivated in some way because by the fact that the FBI was there at all, that it was not a random thing that happened. Uh, it wasn't separatists or something like that, that they were targeted. We also know that Minister Zhang let slip to her that the clothing, the female clothing that was in his house, was his sister's. And we know that DDP knows he doesn't have a sister. So that's right. enough to put him on the suspicion radar. Whether or not that picture is of him or not, it's a little too blurry in any version of the map that's available to tell The hair for looks sure. a little too luscious to be B.D. Wong in current Minister Zhang mode, at least. Yes, that could be an older picture of B.D. Wong with a, sure. with a, more, fuller, with a more full head of hair. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good detail. 
detail you're seizing on there, Josh. BD Wong's rock star days. Yes, the the full the full on like the uh, the high top box fade that yes. uh, Zhang Jima is wearing in that picture. But I will say, next to that sign is a, is a line that says Beijing attack, and we know that that's related to the attack on the FBI in Beijing. We know there were dark army people involved in that attack. They all shot themselves in the head. So these aren't those people because there are no X's through these people's faces. So whether this is White Rose and White Rose's assistant or White Rose and some other government official, we don't know. But they're listed as Dark Army on this map. So not 100% clear whether that's White Rose or not. Just like it's not 100% clear if the person in the bottom left is actually Trenton or not. But we uh, we know that there are there's a good chance that that is Trenton. I think there's a decent chance that is White Rose. What else about this map, Josh? Anything jumping out to you? I've got anything some more else. If not, if you've got more, no, keep going. You're on a roll. Keep going. Ollie's on there. Great to see Ollie again. <laughs> well, depending depending <laughs> on your definition of great, I guess. Sure. Well, one thing that I would say is that you do see like a few email addresses under some of these people's names. Like there's contact information for Terry Colby. Uh, it's an AOL email address, and if you email that <laughs> AOL uh, address, he gives you like a, an auto response about the last honest man, the book that he's writing. He's like, uh, he's interested in deals. You know, that sounds familiar. Uh, you know, there's so, so you're getting responses from some of these people i think if you email ollie something happens as well yeah ollie basically sends a such an ollie response it's something in the neighborhood of uh, i didn't have anything to do with this you don't want to talk to me you want to talk to angela moss here's angela moss's email address you really want to talk to angela moss don't talk to me this is all i need to know so this is that's really funny uh what's ultimately going on there and and that's classic ollie move right like that is classic ollie just selling angela out all the way as we know first thing out of his mouth was about uh, everything he could sell out so we talked about the chunk from goonies connection with ollie uh and he's just still being like that even offline so yeah ollie is there we see in fact the weird little connection with ollie the fbi knows a lot talk about blabbing everything we see blank's disc recovery listed there with a connection to elliot and a connection to ollie and we know that that's the place that they used ollie to tell Elliot to go to where Elliot met with White Rose in season one. So the FBI's got a lot of deets, man. They've got a lot of this good information, but there's some other stuff that's missing. Terry Colby. Terry Colby also has a lot of deets in him. Oh, he does have some deets. You tell me more, Josh. <laughs> no, just I'll let it lie. I'll just we'll let, just it, let it lie. Know, we'll, uh, we'll just let it live right there. We'll look that one up on AOL later. But, uh, but yeah, this, uh, they've got a lot of the information, but they, they don't have everything. For example, they have Kareem. The parking lot attendant who was killed. They link him to Chief Keefe, whose name, by the way, is listed as Donald Hoffman. His alias is Mr. Sutherland. Does that make this guy Donald Sutherland, Josh? Time traveling Donald Sutherland confirmed. Oh my gosh. Uh, we have Chief Keefe. He's now become Donald Sutherland. This is all very well connected here. It's very, very concerning. But we have, uh, we have him connected to, to Kareem, the parking lot attendant, as well as Joanna. And it, it makes it clear that they probably saw the F. We know the FBI was tailing Joanna. She thought she had eluded their tails, but they probably at some point saw her meet with this guy and they know the guy ended up dead. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. Bad sign. Bad sign. They don't have enough evidence to link them directly to the crime, of course, but they know that they were associated. They know Joanna was associated with this 5-9 hack in some way, and they know this guy ended up dead. If I'm Joanna Wellick, I'm not sleeping well at night feeling like I'm going to get away with that murder. So that's something that's on the board. The FBI probably not interested in investigating individual homicides, much more interested in making the bigger case. One of the cool details that DDP releases 
to try to, I think, rattle Darlene is there's 6,332 agents working on this case. And Darlene has and Darlene has played a role in it. She balks at that, saying we're not special. This map is is by, is by is by, me, by means of showing Darlene specifically how special. She is. And she's but a poor player on this map. She's like one person that's represented here. We see Elliot closer to the middle, but Tyrell is right in the middle of this, Josh. So it seems like they think Tyrell was the mastermind behind it. Yeah, but Elliot's super close. Elliot. Elliot's super Elliot close. Elliot is right beneath Tyrell, and it makes you wonder, like, is Elliot the the talent? Like, is he the talent behind it, and Tyrell is the, um, you know, he's the he's the guy who's really, he's the militant one. I don't know what the relationship is, but Tyrell being, um, but Elliot rather, but Elliot being right underneath Tyrell, uh, that puts him very close to the man in the middle if these are not the men in the middle. What's really fascinating about that is there's a box for all save. There's a box for F Society. There's a box for E Corp. Elliot is not in any of the boxes. There's a box for the Dark Army as well. Elliot He's has spent enough boxes. time in the box this season, Antonio. <laughs> Fair point, Josh. Fair point. Point. Uh, uh, speaking of cells, yeah. Uh, so that is something that is there. I don't know why Elliot's offset. Why Elliot is? I think it's because they realize that he's not just a guy who worked at Allsafe. He's also linked to his sister being in F Society. He's also linked to Tyrell Wellick somehow. There's no information listed about that link. We see other links with Elliot. For example, we see a link between Elliot and E Corp uh, with, you know, pointed in the general direction of Gideon Goddard, that they both went to the server farm, the Dulles server farm. We see the Blanks disc recovery links Ollie from Allsafe to Elliot. But Elliot's not in that Allsafe box. He's not in the F Society box. He's not in the dark army box he's off on his own there are very few parties that are centralized like that angela is another one angela has a line leading to all safe but also has a line leading to evil corp and as we now know probably also is going to need one leading to the dark army and you could also point a line between angela and f society considering what she did with the femme to sell so angela is somebody that is connected to just as many groups and in fact with her connection to e corp more groups than elliot so there are there is that aspect of what's going on as well angela not being in any of the boxes tyrell is not in any of the boxes and elliot is not in any of the boxes this is the way they've got the map arranged right now those offset those three i think as more key players in this story i think that's the way the the narrative of the show shapes up of course but it's interesting that the fbi is on to that well it's so easy to see you know before he died gideon goddard being like i i don't have proof I don't know for sure, but I promise you, uh, this kid who I used to, you know, really treasure, this Elliot kid who is super, super, super talented, he's at the heart of this, and I don't know how. Very easy to see. I mean, he knew, you know, that the whole thing with the honeypot and Tyrell Wellick blocking stuff for Gideon. Very easy to see Gideon right before getting blasted in the neck. Uh, very easy to see how that guy would have connected Elliot and framed him up, and from there, Dom could do some legwork. Well, and when she gets information about Darlene from the other people that they've rolled up or that they've interviewed or talked to, when you find out about Darlene, when you find out about her at all, if you look into her background on paper, it's lining up. See that she has a brother. Yeah, yeah. Here's the connections. Like it, 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 this map has not always looked like this. I'm sure of that. They probably had Elliot in a particular box at some point, but characters move around in this map, and the state of the map right now, pretty close to what we know in the show to be true. 
and you can imagine why Darlene would look at this and be terrified because they know a lot. We speculated on this podcast last episode, I think, that, look, one of the things we're pretty sure about is the FBI knows a hell of a lot more than they're letting on. We're seeing that now. Yeah, we're seeing that now for sure. Anything else about the blast door map that you want to talk about before we move on to some of these other storylines? No, I, I don't know if they know fully the connection between Angela and Elliot. That's one thing I will say. If you look at the line between the two of them, there isn't any additional information. There isn't like childhood best friend, got job at E Corp. There isn't something that bonds them more closely together. There's a line, but they're, they're, they're much more separate than I think they probably should be at this point. I think especially now when we know, when we know what we know about Angela, their actions are coming a lot more closely into harmony than they they have throughout, and I think that the FBI would look at Angela a lot differently if they if they had more, knew more information about her direct connections to Darlene and Elliot. There is no line between Angela and Darlene, for example, which means the FBI doesn't really know about the fem to sell, about the details of that hack, about the fact that Darlene was at the safe or that Angela was at the safe house, that Angela and Darlene go to ballet together, that they've been friends literally their whole lives. That is not something that that they've drawn the connection to yet and i think that that's something that could draw the crosshairs even more around angela when we speculate how is angela free to just go back to her apartment in light of everything that's gone on why is the dark army okay with this we know the fbi doesn't know a ton about angela's involvement that's what it is there they just don't know all the details about angela yet they have a feeling that she knows more but does she know any more than ollie parker we don't know that. And the FBI doesn't know it. We know she does, but the FBI doesn't. And that's why Angela is probably on the street free to walk around and do what she wants. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, this is going to be the thing that people are going to be just like pouring their eyes over all off season long, among many other things, I'm sure many other connections that are trying to be made. But I think that there's a lot to come back to a lot of material to mine with this map, with this web, uh, great, great scene. Love it. When Mr. Robot does that, when it just like throws like up this, you know, this very, very rich amount of visual information in a shot that you can just like put your eyes all over and watch that and read it. And assess it for probably weeks, weeks, and months. Uh, so that's going to happen. That's that's where we're going to be. But I think that we could we could do that all day here, and we wouldn't be talking about anything else. So I think that we ought to move on just for now. Um, where do you want to go next? Should we talk through the Joanna thing very quickly? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that because we, we we walked into this a little bit that Joanna Wellick has this interaction with Scott Knowles that she knows that Scott Knowles is dealing that he's he's the one that's been involved and in doing all this. We've discovered that that is ultimately what what we was revealed by the fact that the phone did trace to this position. Elliot did not hide that. Mister Robot advised him to do it, but Elliot didn't do it. Elliot didn't hide the the where the the the, the arrow was pointing when he traced the phone calls. Ultimately, it has been Scott Knowles sending the gifts all season. The way Joanna walks into this is kind of really upsetting. Uh, yeah, she, holds she says, up- the sonogram made me take a shower. Yes, that's exactly what she says. You you picked up exactly what she was putting. The down. sonogram made me decide to bathe myself for the first time in weeks. Thank you, Scott. This this sonogram uh, made me use the, the 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 raindrop emoji. Yes, like that is ultimately what she says. So uh, that that's exactly right. Then there's nothing that different about what she says. We're we're tracking that right. Yeah, she says like this got me really excited. She's talking to uh, the CT Wino uh, Scott Knowles. <laughs> he can't even say conglomerate. He's just slurring his words like. I was CCO of conglomerate. Truth be told, like I, I don't. Time. 
Yeah, I don't feel like there's a ton to unpack here. Like, I, I think that it's pretty straightforward. Scott Knowles had a, had a bone to pick with Joanna, wanted to make her feel the way he felt. Information we're finding out is that Sharon Knowles was pregnant when Tyrell killed her, which just adds to an already monstrous scene. You talk about going back to season one and having new context to some of those scenes based on what we've seen from season two. There's certainly going to be deep dive analysis to be had in that regard, should you choose to accept that mission. But on a very surface level, and certainly one that I did not anticipate at all, is uh, is just how horrifying that scene on the rooftop is now, knowing that Tyrell is murdering a pregnant woman woman um clearly scott is fired up clearly scott wants to get at the wellex as best as he can and going after joanna in this way this psychological torture is his way of doing that i think it's pretty straightforward what i would comment on is tip of the cap to brian stokes mitchell uh who plays scott knowles who plays this scene so incredibly well like that sort of like vague hazy you're in a fog drunk of of the guy who has been drunk for months straight you know several weeks on end you know the last time we saw scott knowles i think the last time we saw him on the show was in his apartment right yeah when joe when joanna i don't think that we've we've seen him since joanna went to the apartment the first time and he was already drinking red wine then but he seemed somewhat put together here he is not put together at all like she's come in on him in like the deepest part of his drunken bender um and you know knowing people who have been in that place not for necessarily the same exact reasons as scott knowles but people who have really struggled with grief and despair and have drowned that in alcoholism uh this really strikes a chord and brian stokes mitchell i think really embodies that the slurring of the words the vacant look on his face the red wine stained teeth that he has that attention to detail from the production side of things really makes this scene pretty damn marvelous from joanna's perspective it's really confirming a lot of what we know about joanna already which is that she is one ruthless mofo uh <laughs> when she hears this whole story lording over him and saying i'm i'm glad she's dead i'm glad your little fetus is in in hell and prompting this horrible abuse that scott knowles unleashes upon her which she probably to some degree enjoys because that's kind of her thing. And she's certainly getting what she wants here too. She wants to be in a position where she can set up Scott Knowles for the Sharon Knowles murder and get Tyrell off of that case. Not that Tyrell doesn't have other things that he needs to get unhooked from. So I don't really know what the overall utility of this is. And if I have a critique of the Joanna storyline from this season, it's that like, what, what are we really ultimately gaining from Joanna now being able to set up Scott Knowles? How does that free Tyrell from the 5-9 hack? Doesn't really, in my opinion. It only frees him from the Sharon Knowles thing. And what does that matter if he's still on the hook for 5-9? So I think that when I look at Joanna's arc this season without having thought about it all the way through, maybe necessarily, or at least having not spent a ton of time really, really, really chewing on it, but maybe I'll come to the same conclusion after I do that, that I think Joanna's story bears out as one of the thinner stories of the year. Do you think that that's fair to say? I would say... In the context of only this season, I understand one of one of of the thinner stories of the season, I think, is still saying there's a lot of meat on the bone for so many other stories. I think that Joanna's is probably the thinnest of the bunch. Right. And I think the biggest missing piece there and I'm fine with the shoe not dropping yet is, okay. so she's maybe going to be able to get Tyrell out of this murder of Sharon Knowles. But that doesn't do anything because maybe it unlocks his his severance package. Maybe it unlocks his severance package. And that is something where where we had wanted that. But the fact that Tyrell maybe was a suspect in murdering 
the the you know the wife of Scott Knowles only really mattered to Scott Knowles. It didn't matter to the police or the the reality of the severance package. The severance package should have been released. Joanna Wellick was saying that to Scott Knowles earlier in the year, and he was basically saying like I, I'm not going to release it because I'm not going to pay off the person who killed my wife. I'm not going to do that. Like that's not I'm not going to reward that behavior. So even though the FBI and the police said the severance package shouldn't be held up, the fact is that Scott Knowles was holding it up. So that may be it, but I, I just don't see that as being the only thing. I think that someone like Joanna Wellick, if she wanted to live that lifestyle, she wouldn't be going, you know, she wouldn't be dealing with the person she's dealing with, the bartender. She's a beautiful woman uh, who was able to be with Tyrell to begin with. She'd just go find another person like Tyrell, some captain of industry somewhere, um, and she could live that 1% lifestyle. I think she's capable of doing that. I think there's something more to this. I think your interview with Steph Cornelison, the person who plays Joanna so well, earlier this season where she talked about like thinking of it like a fox and digging these various holes out. I think that's a huge part of it. And maybe it's just the pension. I don't th- the severance package. I don't think that's it. Even though these severance packages for these CEOs or, or these C-suite level employees for these corporations can sometimes be those golden parachutes that are worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, that would be reason enough. So maybe that's what it is. And maybe just without knowing the full details of the severance package, uh, we're thinking – she really going to all these great lengths for that when she already lives a good life and seems like she could find her way back into that. I don't know, but I like to think of her actions as she's a person who's keeping as many irons hot as she can. She talked about it as like a fox digging burrow holes and getting out of a situation in many different ways. Was your read as we got through all of this, because we'll just continue to talk about that other scene with Joanna when she goes and talks to the bartender and after she gets herself beat up, she gets herself beat up really bad, by the way, by pushing Scott Knowles into this, by calling him, uh, you know, just these horrible names and by insulting him in every shape. She says horrible things. I'm glad your wife is dead. Uh, you know, f her and her fetus corpse. You know, like horrible things that she, sweet, chi- sweet your child is to lucky say. to be dead. Uh, all these horrible, horrible things that cause Scott Knowles to really lose his mind on her, and it, so she can be the living evidence of Scott Knowles' violent tendencies. Uh, yeah, but that being said, like that's not like you can't predict when he's going to take his hands off of you. That's so true. I think that you know, you know. In, ter- in terms of is this like a master stroke at manipulation? Is this her just like manipulating the hell out of Scott Knowles because she knows exactly what she's going to do next? That she's going to go to the bartender and make, sh- make sure that her bartender boyfriend is like, you saw Scott Knowles that night. Scott Knowles, you're going to point the finger at Scott Knowles for the Sharon Knowles murder, essentially. Has she been thinking about this the whole time? Probably back of her mind in some, uh, in some way, shape, or form. And I would certainly imagine no coincidence that she, you know, has continued this relationship with the bartender from that evening absolutely but i think when she's really pushing scott into the corner and unleashing you know getting him to a point where he unleashes so much physical rage against her i think that that's got to be a combination of it can't be just all 100 manipulation there's got to be much like mr robot willingness to die in this yes moment. i, was I think say that, that i agree you know like i, th- I think there's got to be something on, on her end where it's like i don't give a shit if you kill me like i think think that she's that furious and maybe hasn't thought through the ramifications to me it might be more oh great i survived getting you know this guy's hands all over me and that's that's really going to strengthen my case against him but as for whether or not she's standing up in that moment and pushing him to the point that he's just going to
to unleash on her. That feels like you can't know how that's going to work out. That could really easily work out in you getting choked all the way to yes, death. Yes, and that's another, um, that's another reason why I suspected something more than the severance package. We heard her complaining about money earlier in the season when she was tired of pulling Kareem or, or p- paying Kareem off, and that was that was going south, and the money wasn't coming up, and we need that money, and she went to, she went to Knowles already. So we know she has that need, but is that something worth dying for or being willing to die for? I mean, who do we see that's willing to die for the cause. Mr. Robot, the people that are part of the Dark Army. So to me, that speaks to some, the, the possibility that Joanna's down or she's involved with something a lot deeper. And the reason why I'm not as uh, you know, I'm not as concerned about her story, I'm not evaluating it in the context of just this season. If you want me to do that, yeah, we don't have the enough of what we want out of that story to say this whole season was a success. I think when we look back, when we find the full Joanna story, I think we'll look back and say, oh yeah, season two was a success. It was a major part of moving that ball down the the court to where it needed to be. It didn't show us that we were playing basketball at the time. We didn't know. We just saw that the ball was moving. So I think that's a huge part of it. You're right. I think the fact she's willing to die for it speaks to something larger. She hasn't been planning against Scott Knowles the entire time. She did think that it was Tyrell who was sending that gifts. One of our, our great listeners, Tom Tumillo, has emailed in. He had a couple concerns with the finale, and we didn't talk about the, the main one, which is involving Elliot and Tyrell, which we'll get to, but regarding this scene, he really pointed out that this couldn't have been her plan all along, and I don't think it was. I think Joanna Wellick is really somebody who, as we've said, sets up a lot of contingencies, gets a lot of plans in play, gives herself any number of outs, and then is really smart and really smooth in the moments that she's able to execute them. Again, talking about character moments, we've seen a lot of bondage moments with Joanna Wellick. I love that in that moment, when this horrific thing was happening to her, violence was being perpetrated against her body, being punched in the face and choked, not to mention the fact that there was such symmetry with the way Scott Knowles was mounting her and choking her, similar to how Tyrell did with Sharon. There's that symmetry there, but it also ties in to all those things that that we've seen with Joanna, with the the pain being part of a pleasure cycle for her. So that, yeah, she may have been willing to die, but also in that moment, I wasn't as horrified for her as I would have been for another woman in that scenario, because I felt like Joanna, well, it kind of likes this on some level. Yeah, I mean, physically, that's what gets her off. And I think also, like, seeing the utility of what this could turn into, I think, was probably on her mind. I also don't love the sight of her getting choked out within inches yeah, of her life. Rough, so it's, it's pretty it harrowing. It's way worse, re- though, because I felt like, okay, we've seen her literally getting choked on this show before and enjoying it. So even though it's within an inch of her life, I feel like this character probably derives some pleasure from that, not just the pleasure of knowing she got Scott Knowles. The other thing I will say, is once she realized it was Scott Knowles, you know what her response was, this is the greatest gift he's given us. Now that I know he's desperate and pathetic and he's vulnerable to me in this realm, I can go there and try to get something out of him. I can go there and get what I want. And I think what she wanted at that time was to frame him up. So I do think she did want him to be violent to her. You're right. She couldn't have known where it was going to end. So you're right. She was even willing to die in service of that, which is why I feel like it's something a little bit more than that severance package. We're going to find out. I have a very good feeling that we've not seen the last of why Joanna Wellick does what Joanna Wellick does. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. But speaking as somebody who has just been burned on triple DP, you know, and really going in on that theory. Wait, and wait, wait. You that say, that you're that, saying that it was Joanna Wellick who the DDP walked away from. Yes, that is what I'm saying. That's where we're going to move into okay. next. No, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is the lesson for me from 3DP not being a thing that they don't have shared history together, that they do have common ground, but it's not an intricate past that the two of them share together. That's going to mean a lot for them moving forward and i think a lot of this with joanna for me and all the things that you're speaking to and her willingness to die for a cause her willingness to go that far to me speaks more and her ability to make contingency plans and follow them through and be very reactionary and very intelligent and shrewd in that way to me it speaks less based on what we have seen her thinking that elliot is named ollie her not knowing where tyrell truly is all of that speaks to me that she is not in bed with the dark army that she is not on board with any of that stuff but she could be she could be one day so i think the lesson that i have taken from 3dp is dwelling so much on the past and what we haven't seen from these characters um certainly can be instructive in some cases but i think also look at what these people's strengths are and look at how they've reacted to situations that we have seen on the show so far and now that tyrell will be back for season three in a much bigger capacity you have to assume that you could see joanna getting sucked into the vortex of the dark army world and the e-corp of it all and she could be a very very useful player in that regard but for me i'm pretty out on her having higher knowledge like the above view i don't think that she has that but i think that she could be a really great player once she's aware of something i like that that. and i think you're right i think that i think that that's really well articulated in terms of the fact that when we when we started this podcast we talked about the 3dp of it all which by the way is something you never want to print on a 3d printer uh but (laughs) i (laughs) i just i don't know how you would even do that but but ultimately this is this is a woman uh let's bring the fork back into it Let's talk about how when she right. when exactly. she had the child, she said to Tyrell, I kind of don't want to be married to you anymore. And we still don't really know. Was that because Tyrell was didn't have his eyes on the prize and was losing sight of the CTO thing? Was that for some other reason? We, we found out the story about the child. So these are all character notes. And what we've done a ton of on this podcast and, and sometimes successfully and sometimes 3DP is that we've tried to draw these character notes together to predict the future or to predict the past. And what that's what we've been trying to predict is the past, the future reveal of a past that has been shared. And I think that that was fun to do. Clearly we were wrong on 3DP and I bet we'll be right on some of that stuff. Well, we were at some right point about this future. being Scott Knowles, right? Like we were right about exactly. we, it. Totally. It, so, and then I'm, I don't care about whether we were right or wrong. It's all about the utility. And my thing is, yes. I think there's utility. We said this in this podcast. What I love about Mr. Robot is there is utility in talking about these things regardless. When we watch a show like Lost and you and I love Lost. We've podcasted about it a ton, but there are a lot of things in there that if we talked about them, there's just not a ton of utility in it because it was there in the moment. 108%. Correct. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. I see what you're doing there. Uh, I have a lot of, uh, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say any more numbers, but yeah, I, I, I see exactly you. That's exactly what I'm talking about is you can waste a lot of time because there might've been utility in the, like the, let's call it an ARG thing. Let's call it in some kind of game thing. If you want, there's utility in looking at Easter eggs and details for that. But in terms of these 
movie's utility of like, why did they talk about this thing in this scene? Or why did the character take this action? There may be utility in predicting a past or even predicting the future when it comes to whose house is it going to be or whatever. But there is also utility in just talking about the character because the next actions they take get painted onto a canvas that already has a bunch of stuff on it, that already has a bunch of character moments, that already has a bunch of stories, that already has a bunch of incidents and accidents and things left unsaid and things that have happened. Like we've highlighted them so that when the next thing gets painted there, because you've taken the time to appreciate the characters on that level, you do have a greater appreciation for what comes next. And I think for the people whose mileage varies on this finale, I can only speak as someone who has spent the time to really think about those character moments. Nothing seemed out of sync for me. I really appreciated all of that. And I appreciated that even the show that doesn't reward a particular theory that we loved rewards it in a different way that I think is even more meaningful. And I'm, I'm repeating ourselves here, but I think the same thing is true with Joanna Wellick is that it may not be that she's dark army, but it may be that the time we spend wondering if she's dark army and talking about those aspects of her character, they really matter. Cause when she does whatever she does next, we'll appreciate yes. it much more because we spent that time. Totally. That's, that's where I'm coming from with it. That's, what- that's where I am about all of Mr. Robot season two. Yeah. The time that we spent is worth it in the long run for the investment that we've made. When you look at how much we can appreciate what comes next. Totally. Totally. And it's just beautiful to behold. So just enjoy the scenery. Stop. Well, and there's also stop in the moment, the- right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, stop and smell the white roses. Things- Complaining, stop and smell the white roses. Are we complaining about anything involving Steph Cornelius and Josh? Come on. Ah, okay. All right. Okay. Go easy. Calm down. Uh, get back in the shower. All right. Let's talk. Unless you got anything more in that regard, let's start closing out here with, uh, well, we've got plenty more to do, but let's start shifting into the real big thing, which is continuing the thread with Elliot and Tyrell. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, the only final thing is that Joanna is awesome. That scene where she ends the season. Now let's go over it again. Yeah, I love yeah, it's that. a good line. I love it. It's I love it. Very good line. Very good line. All She's right. perfect to be married to this guy, Tyrell. Yes, Josh. yes, indeed. Indeed she is. All right, so let's talk about her husband. Let's talk about Elliot and Tyrell. And Tyrell was going to show Elliot everything. And Elliot is now looking at schematics. There is a schematic of a building labeled E Corp Facility 511. Uh, Elliot knows that. I am responsible for this in some regard, and everybody thinks that I'm the ringleader and the one in charge, but I don't know what's going on. Uh, and Tyrell, meanwhile, is so psyched to be seeing Elliot, like, finally getting to put his eyeballs on this stuff. He's so happy about how this is playing out. He's very happy. He's so proud. Look what we did. Like, aren't you so happy? Elliot, not happy. Uh, Elliot, I love Elliot's kind of uh, just morose, like, the worst part is they think I'm the ringleader and the one in charge. Like, the worst part is they, they all think that I'm doing this. I hate this. Like, why do they all think I'm doing it? Well, probably because you are, Elliot. You are doing and it. And Tyrell, while Elliot is musing like this, he's just, like, wandering around in the background of the scene saying, this place is Mount Olympus. We are prime. We are ready. I love that. I absolutely – I cracked up hearing Tyrell just, like, prancing around the background, again, being grandiose and just talking about gods and all of that while Elliot is sitting at the computer like, what the hell? is going on yeah e-corp facility 511 are you reading that that's not the same building as the e-corp facility that we've seen collapsing down in elliot's dream the e-corp facility where angela works is that the same building or is it not i didn't take it that way i mean i think i did initially and thinking about it more i i think that it's probably like that feels very hollywood and i don't think that mr robot's going to go in the hollywood direction if it was going to 
had gone the Hollywood direction, I think that the building would have gone down in the finale, right? So yeah, and I, I think if you just look at the images, I don't think that if you look at the yeah. the E Corp Tower that is an actual building in New York, and you look at the the weird kind of semicircular nature of that building, and the way that there's like a, a carve out in that, that's not the same building that Elliot looks out the window at, and that, that looks that, that building that Elliot looks out the window at looks more like a fortress. It looks more like a something more fascist, like the new Colosseum outside of Rome uh, that Mussolini built to be the new uh, the new Colosseum, the new capital of Rome. Uh, so that it looks more like that to me. It doesn't look like the E Corp building, uh, and it seems that they're they're carrying all the paper records, all the deeds, all of the the transfers, all the real property documents. They're they're taking all the paper records of these and putting them in one secure fortress. It's like the Mask of the Red Death, Josh. They're arming themselves against this oncoming attack or what they might think might be a later attack against these paper records at these different facilities by taking them to one place where they can control the security and they can trust it. The problem is stage two, the, the, the dark army is already inside of that fortress. They already have a plan. Please bring your stuff here. The red death will hold sway overall. Like we're going to take this down. How is that going to work out mechanically as far as you can figure? Elliot's plan for stage two that Elliot is now starting to wake up to is to destroy the paper records, is to destroy this building. As far as you can figure out, how have they gotten to the place where they're going to be able to do this, where they're really just going to be able to strike a match and light the fuse? It's complicated. <laughs> I might, do I look like Corridana? Uh, yeah. like do I look like Sam Esmail? Like, do you want me to? I mean, we can you're, break you're, it down. You're smarter with this stuff than I am, certainly. And if you don't have a grasp on it, then we're all in trouble. Uh, so but, I, but I think the long and the short of it basically is... I've got it. I've yeah. got it. Yeah. There's an uninterrupted power supply that is, is, is fueling the, the, you know, the systems in this building. We saw a smaller version of that in this very building where Elliot and Tyrell are. What they've got is they've got a schematic of a disassembled one of those. By hacking those things, what they can do is overload them, essentially. And by overriding the manual safety limits on those things, they will cause them to run more. Those things run off of a battery. That battery apparently has lead acid involved in the equation. If that battery runs too hot for too long... Bad things are going to come out of it. Specifically, uh, I think they said, what is it, like carbon dioxide? Right, yeah. Hydrogen or something. Yeah, hydrogen, I think it is. But uh, the, that's going to all leak out into the room. If you've got the system set up so the back off power, the backup power is cut off, if you've hacked the way that you, know, you can't distribute that, all you've got to do is then use the malware to set the auto transformer in the building to create a spark that will blow up the gas that you filled the building with. If you overrun the batteries enough, there'll be enough gas gas in that room to blow up the whole building and bring it down. And that's ultimately what the goal is. By the way, Josh, not that far from Mr. Robot's original plan to blow up the gas factory or the gas plant next to where Steel Mountain was to take Steel Mountain down in season one. And if we'll recall, Elliot backed out of that because he didn't want to hurt anybody. And that was what got Elliot shoved off of a pier. So this is, or, or a rail at least, at a pier. So this is ultimately very similar to the original plan involving gas and explosions and potential loss of life that Elliot backed out of before. No shock that he doesn't want to be involved this time. 
Yeah. No, I mean, it's... Listen, when Mr. Robot can put Elliot to bed, Mr. Robot's going to play. And we certainly know what Mr. Robot wanted to do back in season one. And it was Elliot who decided, no, let's infiltrate Steel Mountain. Let's go and do that. Let's take care of that. Uh, Let's do that as nonviolently as possible. That's not the way Robot wanted it. Robot did not want to play it that way. Robot wanted to wreck shit. Uh, And now that Elliot's asleep during those three days and Robot is able to run rampant, of course he's going to put a plan into place that's a much you know it's a it's a much more militant plan than elliot would authorize uh so of course it's gonna happen it's very very scary i don't think it's the new york city building i think it's some other facility um i think it's that building right next door yeah, uh, the the thing that you see um, with the the window list where the building. paper docs are being are being oh, loaded into, yeah, yeah, that's very likely. That's very. I likely. think it's that. I think it's that that square Coliseo in the EUR outside of Rome. I really think, or EUR. Uh, I think that's ultimately what that that building is. It's just this colossus that's there. That's this for this E Corp fortress that will be penetrated, and I think that that's. I think that's it. We have to keep in mind, of course, that like like, like I said, when 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 Mister Robot wanted this original plan to use gas to blow up a, a, a building to cause damage to E-Corp stocks in the first place. Uh, that was the electronic, the tapes, the backup tapes of the electronic copies, the digital backups. And what, what Mr. Robot wanted to do there was that. And ultimately, he, what do you want to call that? He trying, Him trying to kill Elliot in that moment. Elliot trying to kill himself for having those thoughts. However you want to read that, Elliot was put in severe mortal peril as a result of disagreement over that incident that's exactly what happens in this episode disagreement over a very similar plan puts elliot in severe mortal peril it's happening again it happened at the beginning of season one it's happening at the end of season two uh, this is a very a very cyclical kind of thing between elliot and mr robot it's not something that's going away and elliot's gonna have to deal with it i love this scene where tyrell is like you did this the back door made it possible for us to infect them and elliot and voiceover is like i coded the femtocell but it wasn't supposed to be for this and Tyrell says this is for us and then and only then does Mr. Robot saunter into the frame in his first appearance of the episode oh for all of us what for a dick this Mr. Robot is sure but I think that I think it's an instructive line I think it's a it's a really revealing line in oh, fact it is. and I and I think that you know one of the things that we really now have to face is that Mr. Robot is willing to die for the cause, uh, is, you know, is willing to let Elliot get gut shot, is willing to set up a scenario where anyone who tries to interfere with the plan use this gun against them uh, and gets himself into a place where he's going to be shot by Tyrell Wellick. Uh, I think, you know, talking earlier about seeing Rami Malek get to play the Mr. Robot side of Elliot in the Coney Island scene, and that's like one of the few times that we have seen him in Mr. Robot mode, uh, and referencing the careful massacre scene where he puts on the mask for the first time as an earlier example of Rami Malek getting to play that side. I think we now have to realize, um, if we hadn't really processed it properly before, we saw Rami Malek in Mr. Robot mode in season one. When Elliot and Tyrell go to F Society, I would say that that is that when he says, I wanted to save the world, when he said, when Tyrell asks him, why did you start this? And Elliot responds by saying, I wanted to save the world. And that's the end of the episode. I think now when you pair that with 
Mr. Robot here saying, I, this is for all of us. I think that that's authentically how Mr. Robot feels about this thing. I think that Mr. Robot very authentically feels that what he is doing here, it's not just anarchy the way that I have viewed it in the past. I'm kind of flipping around on that. It's certainly anarchic methods to achieve something that I think that he does feel in his mind is utopian, is going to free us, is going to save us. I think that that's where he's coming from. And when he says, I wanted to save the world and this is for all of us, I think that is really, really representative of his worldview, of a man who is willing to go all the way to make sure that this cause comes to light. Uh, so it's a great line from Christian Slater there that feels like a throwaway and does feel like Mr. Robot just showing up like a D. But here is the spitting image of Edward Alderson inside of Elliot's mind suddenly popping up into frame like a proud papa looking at his work that he is going to bestow upon the universe. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think that's really – I think there's a lot of awesomeness there because – of what we know about the role that Edward Alderson plays in Elliot's life. It's complicated. Mr. Robot sometimes does good things for Elliot. He sometimes protects him and shields him and shades him out of these different scenarios. He also screws him over a lot of the time. So we wonder what his motivations are. And as you're saying, there is a little bit more clarity here. We also get a ton more clarity. I'm not going to skip over this, but that's not the last thing he says in the episode. He gets in this big argument with Elliot and I think it's shot really well. Props to Sam Esmail, really. The Direction of season two was brilliant. I I hope he doesn't put himself through that ringer again in season. I think three. he's putting. I think he's putting himself through that ringer again for he's season. Going to do every episode of season three. That, that seems to be what he is driving at. Yeah. Listen, uh, there, I I think for people that are critical, they just have to think like this. Mr. Robot, the, the length of this season, the timeliness of it. This is like two or three feature length films at the end of the day, three or four maybe, and the timeline of putting out three or four feature films. The quality of Mr. Robot with the with the cinematography, the way it's shot, the way it's scored, the way the soundtrack applies in the back of scenes, the way it's acted and written, and all of it. That it's insane. It's just insane. So props to Sam Esmail if he's going to do that again for season three. But it really carries out. There's a, there's a great visual style to Mr. Robot. I love the visual style that that plays in that scene with the blocking between Elliot and Mr. Robot arguing. Elliot's looking at Mr. Robot against a wall and arguing with him. And then Mr. Robot shows up over another shoulder and Elliot has to turn around. And Elliot's looking around in different directions and he finally says, wait a minute, are you trying to, uh, to confuse me? Like, are you trying to distract me? What's going on here? So the argument is the same thing they always argue about. Why do you torment me? Why do you lie to me? And Robot says, I am you. You always forget this. Like, we're the same person. So if, if, I, if I did this, you did it. And they go back and forth about all these things. You asked me here to go all the way, and you did too. Like, there, there's this, this big fight going on, but it really does seem, at the end of the day, like Mr. Robot is trying to distract Elliot, and that he doesn't want Elliot to stop what is happening. This is his way of trying to do that. I'm interested, Josh, before this, right at the beginning of this scene, Elliot's voiceover is, I've tried everything. I fought him. I OD'd on Adderall. I made peace with him. I even got myself arrested. No matter what I can do, I can't get rid of him. So that my question is, I even got myself arrested. Are right. we meant to say that Elliot wasn't just accidentally sloppy with Lenny Michael Shannon, that Elliot actually got himself arrested on purpose so he could focus in jail to try to get rid of Mr. Robot? I know you think so. I don't necessarily think so, but I'm leaning but in I know that you, direction. I know, you're, I know you're curious That's about it. That's the word I, choice. That's the word choice. I yeah. even got myself arrested. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. But I mean, he did it, that to it, try to get rid of. It wasn't. Right. I even blocked out my time in jail to try to get rid of him. I even got myself arrested. Sounds like I did that on purpose to try to get rid of Mr. Robot. Right. I mean, listen, Elliot brought Flipper to the vet, and Flipper had a chip, and there's just like all these ways that that can get connected back to Elliot for the Lenny Michael Shannon investigation and everything. And you want to say that Elliot was sloppy enough to not even think about that? Maybe Elliot doesn't even stop to think that Lenny Michael Shannon is coming after him, that he's not even a human being that's on his radar anymore. So maybe it is just sloppiness, and maybe it's semantics. You know, maybe it's, I got myself arrested, is he got arrested, and during that process got himself through thrown in jail but it is a it is a deliberate word choice i mean those are the words that he says and if you want to view it as elliot being like subconsciously trying to get rid of mr robot trying to get himself arrested so that he can go into the situation that he's going to get into so that it backs up a few steps earlier of what we have already seen was a deliberate choice to go specifically to prison um you could say that i think right now it's open enough for me, I, I think that it's probably just a matter of semantics, but I can definitely see the interpretation. Well, I mean, you have to keep in mind, it may be semantics in the word choice here, because what we saw happen is we saw Elliot get arrested. After he got arrested, his lawyer told him, look, play some games here. We're going to try to get these charges reduced, whatever. And instead of doing that, Elliot just said... I'm guilty. I did it all. You know, he like pled guilty in jail that moment. He went from arrest to jail in 24 hours. Even Leon remarks about the whirlwind trip that Elliot served through the penal system. So maybe it's a matter of once he got arrested, Elliot decided that he would go to jail to try to get rid of, rid of Mr. Robot and that he didn't get arrested on purpose. But maybe there is more to it. Darlene earlier in the season said, I'll never understand why you did this. And why you did this is vague enough that she could mean why you stole some dude's dog and hacked him and got yourself in a position where he would be so upset that he would come after you like maybe that's what she doesn't understand or why certainly be confusing for somebody who's like at the heart of this intense movement like why did you do that why did you right after the hack (laughs) decide that you needed to go to jail but you know he he did plea he did plea guilty and put himself in that position after he was arrested so the semantics could be falling down there Uh, but the fight really is it's immaterial because again mr robot really is trying to distract Elliot, unless you don't think that's immaterial. Um, that he's trying to distract Elliot? No, just what he says in the moment. I think the biggest thing he says is, you asked me here because I want to go all the way, and you did too. Like, he's basically saying, like, you got me involved in this to begin with because you needed somebody to kick you in the ass and push you in this direction where you would be revolutionary enough to do these tough things and make these tough choices. You needed me. You asked me to come here. That's why I'm here. Don't now turn me away and say, don't do this. And we see that literally playing out very very quickly with Tyrell. That's what happens right away, right? As Tyrell gets in this argument with Elliot, tells him, like, you always said, like, somebody gets in the way, you're going to have to pull the trigger, and that includes you. So here we are. So it's possible that Elliot is... That some part of Elliot wants to do all these bad things, and he's laying contingencies in place to stop the good part of him from walking away. That's absolutely how I see it. You know, that's absolutely how I see how this is all played out. There is a very, very, very bad corrupted part of Elliot, but that's Elliot. You know, this whole thing is Elliot as much as he hates it. He hates it because he feels he feels tortured by it. He's looking at himself when he's saying, why are you tormenting me? It's him. It's all it's always been Elliot. And that sucks. And it's a it's a very complicated dynamic where your protagonist is your antagonist, where they're defined 
often as separate beings and there are you know two different actors playing different sides of the same guy but this all comes from elliot and i think that it has to stem from him initially some part of elliot has always wanted this uh and another part of elliot wants anything but and that is the central conflict that's the central tension of the show and it's really boiling over in a wonderful way here um and it's confirmation of what we've been saying for a long time watching this you know like the mea culpa of mr robot coming to elliot this season and being like we should be on the same side we should be on board i think that mr robot authentically means that but is obviously lying to elliot because if elliot finds out the full extent of what mr robot's driving at elliot's never gonna be on board with that uh and that's why mr robot says like this is where we get into trouble when you really want to know too much like you only want it you should only know what you can handle right want to we want to keep you away from that stuff yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, the central conflict usually is man versus himself, but in this case, man versus man is is man versus himself is actually man versus man because there are there's another person that directly represents what's going on there. So you're right. It is it is interesting to see protagonist and antagonist be the same person, but not in a way where it's like, oh, my faults are always what drags me down, or I have these problems that I have to overcome before I can succeed in this story, or I have this Achilles heel or this weakness as a hero or whatever it is that I have to that fix or that that is a weakness that could take me down. Elliot's weakness is himself, literally. It is it is represented by Edward Alderson, by Christian Slater, by Mr. Robot, but it is him, it is himself. It is within him that the weakness lies, and so it is a fascinating way to see that conflict play out. You're right, but it's also being represented in this scene very specifically by Tyrell, a man who was also very conflicted about Elliot, the man in the middle, the man in the middle, very conflicted about Elliot, very conflicted about what's going on, but tasked with the same things, tasked with the don't let me get in the way of myself elliot apparently handed him the gun handed him the popcorn gun and said stop anyone who could get in the way and so that's what i'm doing you told me to do this you gave me this gun i'm now in the middle of your own conflict with wanting to back out of this plan that you yourself made and i'm gonna stop you i'm the man in the middle there's a little bit more to it than that though josh what's going on here with tyrell where where are his feelings for elliot in this scene and generally speaking Tyrell says at the end of the episode on the phone call with Angela, I love him. Uh, Martin Wallstrom, who plays Tyrell, and I think that Sam Esmail and Rami Malek have probably said this too, but in my interview with Martin Wallstrom a couple weeks ago, had once again reiterated that he views the story between Tyrell and Elliot as a love story. Uh, that this is a that this is a romance of sorts. Um, and I, I think that people probably thought that that was just sort of metaphorical, but I think that that's on the show now. I think that's canon. I think Tyrell Wellick is in love with Elliot Alderson. And I think a lot may have happened in those three days. Uh, whether or not it's physical consummation of anything or just the mounting respect that he had already had for Elliot now manifesting into something hotter, uh, you know, something fiercer, something, something really passionate. Um, and all of this time that they have been away from each other. Absence makes the heart grow fonder and all. Uh, and everything that Tyrell has been driving at and seeing the breadth of the magnificent the magnificent intelligence uh, of the work that Elliot was able to put into play for Tyrell to be Tyrell, this power seeker, this power hungry guy to now be in place to become a God, to be one of the most important humans in history. So much so that you are more deity than man. Um, I think that there's, 
there's compelling there's compelling reasons to argue for why Tyrell has fallen for this man. Uh, not the least of which is the fact that we have seen Tyrell in relationships with men in the past. So it's not a big left turn in that regard. Um, Tyrell's in love with Elliot, and he also is so in love with Elliot that Elliot, who has said, like, anyone who steps in the way of this plan needs to be stopped, and that includes me, that the reason why Tyrell is so worked up about this isn't because, like, Elliot, you're ruining everything. It's, Elliot, don't make me shoot the person who I care about so much. Like, this is a very, very, very big choice for Tyrell, and he's willing to do it ultimately, and this is probably among the biggest heartbreaks he's ever sustained in his he's life. He's killing his darling, Josh. Like this is indeed. Although I thought he had put him in the this could be the start of a beautiful friendship zone. Like I thought that's where we ended the last episode. <laughs> that's too long for hashtag. But I thought that's yeah, where that's we were with funny. these two. Apparently, Bonsoir Elliot is a nice come on line. Uh, I'm not mocking this. I love this. I love that. I, I can see that. I I mentioned earlier that Tom Tumillo had emailed in with some concerns while we were podcasting. He sent us a string of tweets and he wondering is just really what's up with Tyrell one minute he's strong next minute he's scared to shoot ends with him crying to Angela I don't get it what really is he I think that's a great question in terms of Tyrell's issues Tyrell we've seen is someone who's there's some megalomania there Tyrell is so power hungry you're right it isn't just that Elliot represents somebody who is like a deity to him who, who could be one of the most powerful notorious figures in human history it's that Tyrell has always been about power and attracted to power he's exerted dominance and influence over others he has liked being not ordinary he has always wanted to be extraordinary we saw him putting down the waiter when he ordered a salad how much does he make a year what does he do this is his life tyrell hates that we found that a little more in this episode that tyrell's whole life has been about not being that not returning to how he was raised it certainly seemed to me and maybe you disagree with this maybe you don't he was raised differently it doesn't sound like tyrell came from money was that your read i agree with him saying his dad i I don't want to return to that so I recite I the Red Wheelbarrow. Way. Yeah, so that's mine too. And so this is a guy who's always been interested and attracted to that, but he's also so into that that he is a little bit loopy, that he's the kind of guy that beats up homeless people, that he's the kind of guy who, when he goes too far with it, could murder someone with his bare hands and be very upset about it in that moment, but feel kind of good about it later. Um, there's this, it's this, he's this guy who is just so, he's like on the verge of tears to Joanna, kneeling on the floor, talking about gut, as you say, and talking about looking about what's above us. And we've seen that where this plays in that scenario now when we see the beginning scene he's always been unhinged he's always been a guy whose hunger for power has led him down some very dangerous paths paths that ended death for people like sharon knowles but paths that have made him the most wanted person in the united states tyrell wellick so this is not a normal guy who has it all together and who has it straight and yeah you put that into a room where elliot is a guy that that when Tyrell meets him is like, wow, this guy, he doesn't even back down to me. He's not the kind of guy I can push around. He is more of a god. He is somebody who I don't just like and admire. I I love. I'm kind of obsessed with this guy. Like, all I want to do is make this guy happy. I want to please this guy. I want to work with this guy. We're going to be gods together. He's going to help me take the next step. 
Yeah, I think it's more of that as like, I want to please this guy, I want to do that. I think that that's a part of it too, but I think it's like, I want to be like Kozu's. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, we are the kings of Mount Olympus together, and we get to make out sometimes, and that's awesome. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like that's where Tyrell is driving at. It's like, I want the two of us to be on top of the mountain together. And I think that Tyrell has authentically fallen for somebody who can finally ride, you know, bring him to heights that he never imagined. He wanted to be CTO. He wanted to be the youngest CTO in Evil Corp history, and that was his ambition. And Elliot has opened up a world to him where that is the ambition of a mortal man. And what he can now become is a divine creature, which is a scary prospect to put into the mind of someone like Tyrell. I should also be, you know, very clear in noting I think Tyrell still is a pretty scary guy and is still a very dark guy and we're seeing a softer side of him we're seeing him um, you know somebody who is passionate about another human and isn't just being selfish and is not just doing everything for himself and his terrifying wife um, that this is somebody that he has fallen for and he wants to work alongside with and live alongside with and that's his version of happiness but his version of happiness is very scary and he is still the guy that kicks the snot out of homeless people and choked out a pregnant woman to death. So Tyrell is still a really, really, really scary guy, but really, really scary guys can be incredibly complicated. And that leads into a really great thing. During my interview with Sam Esmail, I asked him about this, to have the information, to have it explicit on the show that Tyrell has said, I love him on the show. Uh, and Esmail's response is this. The interesting thing to me about Elliot and Tyrell's relationship is that you can clear cut have a good guy versus a bad guy. That's the way we sort of say it up at the beginning of the whole show but what's incredibly fascinating to me is what if these two people actually have a connection what if we're literally the what if literally the guy we're supposed to hate actually loves our hero and that this isn't sort of a conventional antagonistic relationship that they have that it's out of love as opposed to hate that there's this friction that there's this battle i always thought that was interesting that usually the hero and the villain of any story are deeply flawed characters What if these two have the same flaws and are two sides of the same coin and they both see that and feel that and connect on that? I think there's something a lot more complicated there. We can go into a lot of deeper levels into what that relationship and that conflict will look like going forward. That's what it means to Sam Esmail to have that on the show for Tyrell to say, I love him. For that to be the dynamic, at least from Tyrell toward Elliot, if not reciprocated. And as we said earlier, is Mr. Robot exploiting that is certainly a possibility. Right. And Mr. Robot and Elliot are the same person. But it seems clear to me that the part of... Elliot that Tyrell loves the most is the Mr. Robot part, is the part that has these designs, that isn't the person that's satisfied with getting high and watching Back to the Future 2, that is the person who lived the, the dream life or had these beautiful things that were very simplistic, that, would, you know, I can maybe be serious with Angela, I could do all these things. That uh, Those things are not open in Elliot's life because of things like Mr. Robot, but that's not what Tyrell is after. Tyrell is after the grandiose delusion of grandeur, kind of, uh, like I said, the, the Elliot who wants to be a god and who portrays himself as such, that's the part where that is two sides of the same thing. Uh, maybe Tyrell once wanted those simple, the simpler things in life. Uh, maybe Tyrell could have been the person that was in Elliot's dream, showing up with his family at a, a happy dinner, but that's not who, who Tyrell wants to be at this point. I think Tyrell's arc includes him getting fired from Evil Corp and wanting revenge, but also wanting to be big. And 
those two things combining together are a toxic mix for a guy like Tyrell, just like the toxic mix that in some ways created Elliot. Not only is he the kind of guy who has the skills that he has, but he's the kind of guy who has an axe to grind with this one particular company. And those two things make him a very lethal thing uh, that was created as a result of that toxic mix. So I think that the Tyrell is a very similar path to Elliot, as you're saying, uh, two sides of the same coin, as Sam Esmail said. I like that. Uh, I love the I love the I love you. I, I mean, I love that. I love the I love you. I know. Yeah, it's great. It changes the dynamic significantly. Oh, you're saying I know like Han Solo. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm I am Hans, Hans CTO. Um, I think also this is a great scene because clearly Tyrell Wellick is alive and is a flesh and blood human being because he's able to because he's able to he's able to shoot Elliot and that's just great. Like that's just another layer of this scene. It's just like oh please thank you thank you thank you. It would have been I think a, a, a massive mistake and I'm sure thankfully this was never even on the table uh, that Tyrell was going to be in Elliot's head. Um, Another thing uh, about this scene that I really like of Tyrell pulling the trigger on Elliot, not just because it's such a difficult decision for him and it's Elliot at the, you know, this is really the height of his season arc of like really questioning his sanity and feeling so sure-footed in it's another robot trick. Of course it's a robot trick because Mr. Robot's not going to let himself die. He's at the place that I've been at and being wrong about that. Those are, you know, very compelling aspects of this scene but what i love and it's something that's you know really this is probably the best place to talk about certainly because we're running out of podcast room um but there's a lot of echoes through this finale there's a lot of full circle moments throughout this finale um you know going back to joanna Welk getting horribly 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 beaten up by Scott Knowles in this episode uh, really echoes back to the premiere where she's getting very, very, very lightly abused by her boyfriend and it's just not really doing it for her. She finally gets the extreme version of that. Here's another version of where Elliot was shot in the head in the beginning of this season that he's been shot uh, now here at the end of the season. Actually, there's two gunshots that go off on Elliot in the, in the premiere and in the finale. Very, very different. Also this gun that we have been tracking the popcorn gun that we've been wondering about for so long finally goes off. That's very full circle as well. I'm sure we could keep digging in Darlene. This season begins with an Alderson in jail. Right. This season ends with an Alderson incarcerated as well. Yeah. Uh, there's the whole, uh, not even, it's not the premiere, but going, Going back to Elliot's Do You Have the Time, which, by the way, is the final line of the season, the basket case of it all, Do You Have the Time to Listen to Me Wine, is Leon saying Do You Have the Time as well at the end of the season. That's pretty cool. Uh, but there's also that whole basket case scene where he is having dinner with everybody, and that's all fantastic, and you see E-Corp's building crumble to the ground. Uh, in Elliot's you know, quietest, privatest places of, of fantasy, that is what he wants. Mm -hmm. And stage two involves bringing down a building that belongs to E-Corp. So there's a lot of really tremendous full circle moments in this finale, I think really epitomized by this gunshot that goes off at Elliot here in this uh, almost final scene. Yeah, it's great. And uh, the, the way that it all plays out is great too, because we've seen Mr. Robot throughout popping up in different ways, uh, wondering what role Mr. Robot plays in all of it. Mr. Robot fading out as Elliot fades out of consciousness and, Ty and Tyrell speaking to Elliot and telling him, you told me how to do this and then Mr. Robot getting the last word in and saying, couldn't let this happen couldn't, you know, couldn't do this, couldn't you know, he, didn't, he doesn't say you didn't commit to the sacred pact or you, you violated uh, the trust or all that you didn't, he doesn't say what Mr. Robot said at the end of season one episode two, uh, but he almost says something very similar, he's basically saying like, I couldn't trust you to carry this through, sorry 
sorry, man, like you, you violated this thing. Like this is a problem. And the, so this is Elliot like saying to himself, like you can't be trusted. Like there are parts of you that you can't trust. And I'm sorry, I couldn't, I have to be willing to, to, you know, extinguish all parts of me to get rid of the parts of me that I don't trust. And that's obviously we saw him trying to do that with Mr. Robot throughout the season that he was trying to get rid of Mr. Robot and extinguish Mr. Robot throughout this season. And here we see Mr. Robot saying, I'm willing to extinguish you, which I also know means extinguishing me. If it means I know the job's going to get done, I'm willing to go to those lengths because I, and I being, I being me, I being Elliot, I'm ultimately willing to die for this cause as well. And so again, the great connections of Elliot trying to get rid of Mr. Robot and Mr. Robot saying, I'll get rid of myself if that's what it takes. I'm willing to do whatever. I loved it. I love this scene. I love the way it played out. I think a lot of people, you know, your mileage may vary. People thought should have ended after he shot him. We talked about how we didn't, we're, we're much happier that it didn't go that way. Uh, I think people maybe don't get the mileage out of that, uh, that ultimately ending this way, but I really like that it ends this way. I also love that we have the tag where we find out that he's alive, but it's also a major reveal, Josh, when Angela calls Tyrell or when Tyrell calls Angela on the phone and it's Angela and Tyrell, like they're on that name basis. What's going on? Yeah, that 28 minutes, a lot happened. I mean, we already knew that there was some major stuff that happened for Angela because she went back to her lawyer and said, never call me again. Don't don't get in touch with me ever again. So clearly they have, uh, you know, the, the, the Dark Army and White Rose have certainly earwormed into Angela. Or maybe not. I mean, who really knows? A lot of information has been left on the table away from us that we just are not privy to yet. Uh, Angela is still one of the murkiest characters, and we don't know why she's as involved in this as she is right now. But the fact that she is having a one-on-one call with Tyrell, that Tyrell is basically the one who has contacted her, uh, is confiding in her. It's weird. It's very, very weird. We spent the whole season pretty much of Angela in the belly of the beast of E Corp, and now we are seeing her in the belly of the beast of the Dark Army. And is this any more authentic than her desire to go through E Corp in order to change things her way? It's a big question mark for me, and it's certainly one of the biggest confusions leaving season two. And for me, that's a good form of feeling mystified. I can't wait to see what they're doing with Angela. Angela's been a very confusing character and a very difficult one to track. And at least from Sam Esmail's point of view, that's intentional. And as you say, your mileage may vary. Your mileage may vary on whether or not that resonates with you and whether or not that works with you. And it doesn't always work with me with Angela, but right now I'm very intrigued. And for this character who has been such a mystery for so long, since at least the season one finale has been a really difficult nut to crack for her to remain that way going into season three. It's the state of the union with Angela as it has been for a while now, and it's continuing in that direction. And I have no idea when we're finally going to figure out what it is that Angela is actually doing. Yeah, I thought uh, Sam Esmail had a great comment to you in your conversation that you had, specifically citing Jackie Brown as an influence on some of the storytelling that we see in this show, where you don't always know the motivations of a character in the moment. And that, as an audience member, 
is something that really adds to that. And he specifically said that in response to Angelie referenced the Jackie Brown element. And I don't want to spoil that film for those who haven't seen it. It's a Tarantino film, but suffice to say, uh, in maybe the third act or the back half or somewhere in the in that movie, uh, there there's a moment where you're not 100% sure of character motivations and you don't know what sides a, a character is on or who's playing whom or what's going on. And as an audience member, that is intriguing. We talked about, uh, I mentioned Vertigo on a previous podcast, one of my favorite films where the audience finds something out that the main character doesn't know when we've been in deep inside the head of that main character throughout the film. And then all of a sudden we find something out that he doesn't know. And that suspense comes from the not knowing something that one of the characters doesn't know. That is the, how is he going to react to this suspense? This suspense is much different in that I'm mystified by what Angela's direction is, as you put it, uh, mystifying is the right word, I think. And I'm, great with that because I don't know who she's playing or what side she's on. I don't know if she was motivated by White Rose just in the 28 minutes or if White Rose in that 28 minutes laid out some complicated history that convinced Angela one way or the other. Or did White Rose just say something very persuasive about E-Corp, about taking them down? Did White Rose give a rah-rah team speech that led Angela? I don't know. I'm fascinated that I don't know. I'm dying to know and I'm dying to find out what that greater, larger story is there. Is that something where White Rose can all, go all the way back to the mid-90s, when we know White Rose was working in the same plant where Angela's mother ended up getting toxic cancer? Like, Can we point to that and say, White Rose pointed something out historically about her mother or about something going on? Is there going to be a larger story? We don't know. I'm fascinated that we don't know. I'm fascinated that Angela is in this role now. And the reason, because we don't know, I don't know if when she says, like she says, when he wakes up, I should be the first person he sees. How does she know what even happened to him? Like, did she get another call from the Dark Army? Did someone at that facility say, okay, Tyrell shot him. He's out. Tyrell's going to be calling you next. Like, is that what happened? I assume that's what happened. But what... Yeah, it's my assumption too. What details are we missing here? Like, you know, I love that. I love that we don't get all of it. I love that the show asks me to think and fill in those blanks. And I love the, the... exercise and the occupation of filling in those blanks. It's fascinating. It's fun. Um, This is a show that really rewards in that regard, as we've talked about throughout. So I love this tag at the end with Angela playing this role. I should be the first person he sees when he wakes up. That says to me, I'm now as Angela on board with manipulating this guy. Like I, I'm going to, I'm going to play some psychological games with this guy who I really care about. That's what it says to me, whether or not that's why she thinks he, she should be the first person he sees. I don't know, but that sounds like that to me. And that's fascinating. I can't wait to see how that plays out. Very scary. Potentially, potentially very, very, very frightening. Yes. Uh, Thunderbolts and lightning. Uh, Speaking of which thunderbolts and lightning often lead to blackouts and there's a blackout in New York when Angela leaves her apartment. Yeah. uh, A full blackout. I think this is the first time we've ever really seen the full, full blackout. And we hear car accidents. It's almost like the leftovers, Josh, like something bad happened. And all of a sudden, like society is falling apart. We hear, we see the blackout and then we hear the aftermath screeching tires, car accident, like loud bangs and noises. Full blackout. Is this 
is this plot movement for you or is this metaphorical? I think it's more metaphorical. I think it could I be plot. I think it could be plot movement, uh, but I just don't think we're ready for the full blackout. I think the full blackout is in part related to the power issue that is in play with stage two. And I don't think stage two is ready to pop off yet because they need all the paper records in that building. So stage two is in place, but they're not going to execute it yet. Uh, they're getting the malware set up. They're getting all these things going, but they're not ready to blow up the building yet. Uh, and I think that, that it wouldn't be full blackout until they were ready to get that gas really building up and get those backup power uh, units really in play. So I don't think, I think it's more metaphoric. I think it's more metaphoric too. And I think that we've been building up these brownouts and we see with Elliot went once he's shot, we see robot blinking in and out and that feels connected to like those are brownouts and then he's out. And now we've got this blackout and Elliot is out as well. Yes. Uh, so that, so that feels consistent to me. One thing it's like, so what, so what does season three look like? Elliot's alive. Elliot will be back on his feet at some point. That's obvious. But how long is it going to take? And I'm wondering about that. Like it depends on when season three of Mr. Robot picks up up um is it going to be very shortly after this uh this episode is it going to be uh, another months long or month long time jump who knows no idea right now um but i do wonder like if one of the reasons that season two of mr robot you know there was an entire episode of the show that did not feature elliot alderson whatsoever have we been spending a lot of time here in season two with so many other characters to prepare us for worlds where Elliot is uninvolved in the storyline. Um, could we, and this is like nightmare fuel for people who really didn't love how far away Elliot was from the plot this season, but could we be looking at returning to Mr. Robot in season three and not having Elliot involved, like having Elliot be in a little bit of a Kevin Finnerty state for a couple of episodes at the start of season three? Is that something that we could be looking at and having the plot rely on a few of these other characters to carry the torch forward for a little while? We could. I mean, I think Elliot would be present in that in those scenes as a someone who's out of it. Uh, he got gut shot. I think did you was your was your interpretation? We had a couple people tweeting at us that he got shot in the groin. Did you think he got shot in the stomach? I don't think that Tyrell, given everything, would be shooting uh, Elliot in the groin. Well, that's what I'm wondering. We had people wondering those exact <laughs> things, like what what was going on there. I got the impression that he got gut shot, uh, shot in the stomach I, I is a bad yes. way to die because you can bleed out really seriously, but it's one of those things that doesn't instantly kill you uh, unless, they hit, unless there's a vital organ or something. So that's a really rough thing, and you can imagine that, uh, and you can imagine when he I comes don't think to Tyrell's him. trying to yeah. – yeah, I don't think Tyrell's trying to kill him. I think Tyrell's trying to stop yeah, him. I don't know why he didn't shoot uh, him in the leg, but – Maybe, I don't know, whatever. It's a, a smaller target, yeah. I guess. And anyway, it doesn't matter. We're, that's... Those, those thin little bird legs of Rami Malek's. <laughs> oh, I'm going to make sure I tweet that uh, or get that on Instagram so Rami knows what you were saying about his legs. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the deal with that is, but he got gut shot. He's probably going to be out of it for a little while. Angela should be the first person he sees when he wakes up, meaning it should be something where he feels okay or sees somebody he knows when he comes out of it because they need him to be on point. So you could see a journey where he goes through that, where he goes at least an episode where he's in a coma. I, you, you're right for the people that are, that get frustrated sometimes. I think that's one of those things where it's like, don't, don't, don't play with my reality again, but you have a character who's going to do that. So you're either in for that or you're not. Uh, and so I think we could see that. I would love to see that. I would love to see Elliot's version of almost dying uh, and purgatory and a near death experience and what that would look like. I'm probably getting a lot of residual love for what happened with Kevin Finnerty, but I love that. And so, I could see robot maybe winds up at uh, some hotel uh, where there's an assassin running around. <laughs> yeah, there's and, also that. 
that. Maybe, Josh, maybe he ends up in a purgatory place somewhere like Arizona. Yes, yes. All right. Well, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about the final scene of the uh, of the episode of the season in Arizona. You referring referring to this as purgatory. That's where it was for Kevin Finnerty. I'm just saying. Yes. Yes, yes. So to some degree, but you, you're not trying to posit that Trenton and Mobley are actually dead. No, are you? God, no. Okay, good. Thank you, thank you, no. thank you. It's thank just, you, a, thank it's, you, just a this... it's just like a living purgatory where the weather sure. is never really one way or the other. Like it doesn't go off the charts. Like oh, it's not going to rain. It's not going to snow. You know, you, go, you live a boring life where music or music is playing over a speaker. Uh, you work in an electronic store. This is your day to day. Right. So we we now know that Trenton and Moby, they survived. Probably when Trenton looked up in the coffee shop, it was Moby being like, well, sorry, I'm late. I got stuck on the subway. Uh, classic our son, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's just his move. Always late. He went everything. the wrong way. He took the wrong train. Yeah. <laughs> he ended up in Canadian New went- York. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I should have just taken the F. Uh, but here he is, and here's Trenton. And Trenton is talking about how they might be able to reverse course on some of this. And I don't understand anything that she's talking about. Are we meant to understand any of this? Or is this just to introduce the philosophical idea, which you would assume since it's the tag of this season and the tag of last season bared so much fruit here in season two, are we just starting to set up this idea of now there's going to be a counter movement to undo the damage? Damage done by five I have nine. a theory here. Let's talk about this. So going into this, Give me the theory going into this season, we talked about the key detail, and the detail was that the data of all of F Society or all of E Corp's data wasn't deleted. It wasn't deleted. It was only encrypted. And of course, the issue was that the encryption key was so significant that it would literally be impossible to undo. Like that was that level of encryption, and it was not going to be something that could be decrypted in any way that Evil Corp could figure it out. What Trenton is saying is. I might have figured out a way to decrypt it. Like, I might have actually figured that out. And if I did figure that out, shouldn't we do it? Aren't we upset with the way that everything went? Aren't we frustrated? We know Mobley has articulated that. Trenton is saying she misses her family. She also doesn't like being walked in on in the bathroom by Mobley's creepy friend. Josh, we got to tell our son to keep better company. I agree. So, okay, we're on the same page. Good. Because as parents, you don't want to be on opposite pages. You don't want them to play mommy off daddy. No. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know which one is which. We'll talk about that later. That's but offline. I, but that's offline. That's an AFK conversation. But I would say, ultimately, that that she has come up with a way, or she thinks she might have come up with a way to decrypt that data. As it is right now, Evil Corp is in a mess. Now, they did get bailed out with some money. They are going to try this e-coin thing. But we know stage two is is the, the foot to the throat of Evil Corp. It's deleting their paper backups. It's taking them into a position where they're never going to be able to restore this. No one's going to have any faith in the company at that point. They needed to get stable with the loan. But the stability was by only means of saying, eventually, we're going to figure this all out. They're never going to figure it out. The paper copies are gone. They're not going to reassemble their empire if stage two goes through at that point evil corp is worthless that's a perfect time for somebody to take over evil corp to buy it up to buy it out to to have evil corp somebody that maybe has an outstanding loan to them for example uh would, would be able to call that shit in and say boy your company's now worthless you owe more money than anything else we will seize your company but based on the money you owe us 
And then what if that person or that company or the, the people that seized E-Corp had an ability to, at that point, unlock all of Evil Corp's data? Mm. Then they would own a significantly – they would own the most powerful conglomerate in the world, having acquired it for nothing, and it would be worth everything it was worth before they acquired it for nothing. So – and is if there, the Dark Army knows enough to know where Mobley and Trenton are right now, maybe know enough to know that Trenton is looking into this possibility. That's, that would be what you would have to connect that to, is you would have to say, is there a reason why Leon doesn't show up and just kill them? Or why doesn't anybody just ride up with a motorcycle helmet on, open fire with a submachine gun, and take them out? If they were worried about them... Yeah, why isn't board, Leon immediately stabbing them in the butts? Yes, exactly. Why isn't their badasses going on? Uh, and I'm glad that didn't happen, again, for our son and for Trenton, but what is Who the I real... also love, a dear friend, Trenton. A dear friend, yes, a family friend. But uh, I am concerned. I am concerned well, Leon could, could do that. We've seen him do it. But we've also seen Leon be the sort of avenging angel who protected Elliot in that moment. So maybe he's there to protect them, and maybe he's there because Elliot and F society is so important. We want to protect the people that are near and dear to Elliot and in some way maybe use them for him or against him at some point. Uh, maybe we don't want – I don't know. But if you just don't want these people talking to the FBI, you kill them. And there's a reason why we didn't see them killed at the end of this season – Maybe it's to protect Elliot. Maybe it's because of Elliot. Or maybe it's because they do know uh, what they've been talking about. Maybe they've hacked them or they've followed them or they know enough about this to say these are the people who created the thing. These are the people who can undo it. So there's a possibility of that as well. You can see that being a checkmate move with Philip Price and White Rose. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying that's a possibility to me. That That is an important piece to unlock. It would help E-Corp. But if E-Corp was decimated and their their pieces were acquired for nothing, it would help whoever acquired the pieces. So that's my only thinking. Great is, theory. Yeah, love the theory. So Fantastic I theory. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But I, I mean, like, I, if I that, and, and, and if that's the way we're going, too, I mean, like, the drama there would be, it can't just be Dark Army wants Mobley and Trenton. Mobley and Trenton become, uh, you know, serious hot potato characters in that regard. That's true. Uh, and, that's true. And, and you got to imagine uh, E Corp being interested in that as well. So that that's uh, you know again scary news to put our our son in jeopardy and to put Trenton in jeopardy, but to get them back into the plot in a really meaningful way. And one of the cool things that happened between season one and season two was the promotion of certain characters, like Philip Price becoming a series regular, Michael Christopher the actor, and Stephanie Cornelius in becoming a series regular for Joanna Welk. One of my hopes for season three, I would love it if the actors who are playing Moby and Trenton, whose names I can't recall off the top of my head, if they were to be uh, two of the characters that got that bump for them to really be active presence on presences on the show because I thought that they contributed so much to season two. I thought they did such great work, especially with Mobley, uh, bias notwithstanding, uh, and Trenton as well. I thought they did really good stuff with her. So I'd love to see them really more in the focal point of season two, and I think that you've uh, of season three rather, and I think that you've brought up a really clever way uh, to connect them in. And I think you know, of course, the philosophical idea of undoing the damage done um is certainly interesting and important and worth weighing on its own but mobley and trenton's active roles in such a thing and the dark army's interest in why they would be interested in this uh for somebody like white rose who's been so methodical um and, and for potentially for elliot uh and even maybe the militant mr robot side of elliot possibly or he could be at odds with this as well which would be interesting um could be somebody who would be invested in this idea as well for somebody who says i want to save the world 
unless his vision of saving the world is a little bit more anarchic than that. Um, great food for thought. Fantastic food for thought. And I almost don't want to do anything else on this podcast anymore because you're leaving it on such a good note. That's well, a really, really great take. And I think we don't have to do too much more because we're not done with this season of Mr. Robot. We are going to podcast again about it, I think, more than once. So we're going to get into the larger things about this season, maybe talk about some of the things that were left on the table. Like, we don't know. We know what stage two is now. We still don't know what's going on at that plant in Washington Township, Josh. We don't know what's been going on there since the mid-90s and how that ties into this story. That's a major thing that's hanging out there. And there are many other smaller things like that. So we're going to get into that in other podcasts after this one. But speaking strictly about this episode, I think something else that you've said is is about how season one ending on the Illuminati, the 1%, the Philip Price and the White Rose, and season two ending with the Foot Soldiers, as we see Mobley uh, and yeah. Trenton here and Leon. I think the other great thing about that is is that whoever possesses the knowledge of how to de-encrypt E-Corp's data becomes essentially somebody who's in possession of one of the most valuable things in the world, a decrypt, I should say. And and if that's the if that's Mobley and Trenton, that, that ultimately does tie, as you've pointed out, right back into what's going on between Philip Price and White Rose. So it isn't just that we went from Illuminati to foot soldiers. It's that even the actions of the foot soldiers, they could one day become kings because of what they they possess, the knowledge that they possess could make them very important, very powerful, as you said in the story. Maybe not to the level of Philip Price and White Rose, but really important in their game between the, each other, at, at the very least. So these, uh, it, it isn't just like, they're, they're, they're far apart, but they're also very similar in that they're yeah. directly connected to that story uh, with this, with this potential knowledge that, that Trenton maybe possesses, maybe not, that she's asked Mobley to take a look at. And again, we don't know to what extent the Dark Army might already know about about this or not it's awesome not only the parallel of the way that worked out with uh, the foot soldiers and the kings or the leaders but also the way that the first the the end credit scene in season one we see a car driving from the back and above uh, we see the same kind of uh, shot a car driving from the back and above begin this shot it's just gorgeous i just love the way that this all played out uh there there is a lot of that connection to season one but it's something that stands on its own and you can see driving a lot of plot in season three and beyond so i love that Duality and symmetry, you know, those are those are two of the areas of specialties for Mr. Robot, I think, uh, in so many ways, thematically, character-wise, uh, and certainly set up here in these two post-credit scenes. Yeah. Um, as, as Antonio says, we're not done podcasting about Mr. Robot. We're going to have more podcasts for you guys in the weeks ahead. Certainly the last, like, guaranteed Thursday podcast of Mr. Robot. Timing is flexible on some of these things, but we have some cool ideas in the works, so stay tuned for all of that. Uh, but, I mean, this is the last... Last episode recap, and we have been recapping every episode of Mr. Robot for the past, what, you know, 20 plus weeks? It's been a bit of a road. So, Antonio, this has been incredibly fun. Journey's not over, but the episode recaps specifically are on ice until season three comes back at the very least. And it's been such a blast. It's been a really, really, really fun show to chew on. You and I have had a lot of fun chewing on a bunch of different shows here on post show recaps from Justified to Leftovers now here to Mr. Robot. Note that I excluded the strain. It's just, it's just, it's been, it's been a real pleasure to talk about this show. And personally speaking, I do think that we've, uh, I feel like we've done justice to this show. I think it's a very heady show. We're dedicating hours, hours every week to an hour of television. So I'm very happy with how the podcast has turned out from what we have heard in terms of feedback. It has worked for many of you guys as well. So we really, really appreciate that in that regard. 
please subscribe to what we're doing here. Postshowrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes, MR Robot iTunes. And if you're so inclined to leave us some reviews, leave us some ratings, all that is very, very helpful in getting the podcast noticed. Uh, And it's certainly been helpful in that regard as well already. So thank you guys who've been listening. This would not be possible without you. It would not be nearly as much fun. Antonio and I might text each other without recording a podcast, but it's so much fun to have this podcast and to know that this means something to some of you guys. It's really, really touching. Yeah, absolutely. I echo everything you've said, and I'm very thankful for all the feedback we received. We got a lot of feedback about this episode. We didn't get into all of it. A lot of them were more overarching questions about the season. I think if you did send in feedback and we didn't address it, we may well bring it up on a future episode. If you want to send in any other seasonal feedback, or if you're hearing this after it's already posted, you can always send us feedback. You can do Mr. Robot at postshowrecaps.com as a direct email address. You can go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. If you want to leave feedback through our feedback form, you can also tweet at us. I'm at AC Mazzaro with two Z's and one R. Josh is at Round Howard. Josh, is that like Terrence Howard, but rounder? That's exactly what it's like. Yes. Perfect. So yeah, you can get us on Twitter. We love engaging about this show. Uh, DMs, direct messages, tweets, at messages, emails to our line. Hit us up however you can find us. If you see us on the street and you want to talk Mr. Robot, I'm definitely down. But this is not the last you'll hear. I'm less down. I'm less down because that's creepy. But yeah, let's do that too. Oh, says the guy who would hug somebody randomly on the street if they walked up to him and said Josh Wiggler. So okay, I got it. I know. I'm I'm completely kidding. If you come up to me and talk to me about (laughs) Mr. Robot and say you listen to the podcast, we'll probably probably embrace yes yeah there will likely be a hug so yeah we love it we're very thankful for everybody it would certainly uh, it, it influenced a lot of what we were talking about what we would focus on stimulated a lot of ideas also want to give a shout out to everybody on r slash mr robot the mr robot subreddit there are some crazy crazy tinfoil theories going on on there there are also some really awesome observations sometimes they get buried in comments sometimes they're their own posts but that's a really active community if you engage with the show and you want to participate there are a lot of people who love this show there's an entire alternate reality game going on uh with the easter eggs in this show josh the puzzles the clues that are being left in the background that people have not solved yet and they're dying to figure out and they're very active uh, at on reddit doing that as well so shout out to everybody out there on reddit participating in the love of this show uh you, we're all kindred spirits and we're very thankful that people are participating in a dialogue about a show that we all love talking about all right. Do you have a hashtag for anyone who's gotten this far? Did anything stand out to you? I'd like to see Wino at one point was pretty good. <laughs> Tell me what else. That I mean, I don't know. We got do we RIP DDP? Oh god, RIP 3DP could work yes. if you want to simplify <laughs> R- that. 3DP also funny, uh but be careful with that one. Uh yeah. So, I like RIP 3DP. Uh I like I like CTYno, either one. Either one of those. Either one of those will work. Tweet that to Antonio and myself as he said at AC Mazzaro at Round Howard. We'll be back with some more Mr. Robot podcasting at some point in the hopefully pretty near future. So, keep an eye out for that. And while the timing on it is TBD, uh, you and I will step, will certainly have some podcasting coming up soon, Antonio, hopefully soon-ish, whenever The Leftovers comes back. Yeah, that is an awesome show. If you're a fan of Mr. Robot and you haven't watched The Leftovers, highly recommend that you do it. It's another show that really rewards this deep dive treatment, that invites it. There's so much going on in that show. Josh and I have podcasted about basically every episode of that show from the jump from season one. There are two seasons right now. The third and final season will be airing and we'll be definitely hitting that podcast every week when that shows. But you can always get into the archives of our old episodes at postshowrecaps.com. 
com. If you would like to pick up the leftovers, if you haven't watched it, if you've never watched it, I would advise you to stick through maybe the first five or six episodes. I always say six episodes. You have to give it six episodes. And if you don't like it after the first six episodes of season one, then maybe it's just not going to be the show for you. Right. But if you do like it after the first six episodes of season one, it, it only goes up from there. It only gets better. Basically, every episode is better than the last. Yes. And and, as, Im- uh, and and improbably better than the last. Yes. Unbelievably somehow. But yeah, that is a show that is fantastic. And it really, as I said, it is rewarded by and deserves this kind of analysis. We do it here at postshowrecaps.com. Josh and I do that together. So if you like this, uh, I think that you, if you like this, you might also like this. And Josh, as um, full-blooded Americans, I'm sure we can come up with something else to podcast in the interim at some point yeah i'm sure that we could come up with some sort of podcast that uh really speaks to a show that is called the americans that airs on <laughs> fx at i some... was trying to be more subtle i mean whatever <laughs> i'm That's not fine. good at subtleties i'm not good at subtleties no antonio and i have been talking about possibly doing a podcast about the americans when the americans returns for season five that's a show that i binged all of very recently and feel very foolish that i had not been watching already it's a spectacular spectacular show that i think you and i will do a bang-up job whenever that show comes back i think that will probably be around March and we'll come up with some sort of pregame podcast plan for that as well. So that's a podcast to look forward to in the future. Lots and lots of podcasts. Plenty of other stuff going on on post-show recaps as well right now. We're still in the thick of Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, but the regular Walking Dead is starting up fairly soon. That'll Luke be Cage. so much better, by the yes, way. Yes, sure yes, yes. Yeah, shut up. Luke Cage, <laughs> Luke Cage, Luke Cage is also premiering uh, this weekend. Kevin Mahadeo and I are still trying to figure out exactly how to cover that show kevin and i have podcasted about all of the marvel netflix shows so far so we will find a way to do some coverage maybe not full-blown episode recaps we will maybe do a few podcasts about the season we're going to figure out exactly how that works moving forward lost lives is still a thing uh we have an episode that's going to be coming out in the next week or so those podcasts are really big and very labor intensive so they are not coming out weekly like i really wanted them to but that might mean more lost lives podcasts if we're able to take our time with it so that's really fun those are great podcasts as well uh rob sesternino and i are getting together this weekend to to do some podcasting about a few shows that have popped up recently. So check out Poster Recaps for that in the near future. Lots of great stuff going on. A Westworld podcast is going to be popping up here fairly soon. Westworld is hitting HBO in the near future. Joe Garfine is going to join me on that great, great commentator and thinker in terms of all of these heavy shows. Love Joe so, Garfine. So she's, She'll be great. Joe is, Joe is great. She's the co-pilot with AJ Mass on the Dropship, the 100 podcast. She has appeared on Lost Lives in the past and is a big fan of Crackpot Theory. So I'm very, very excited for her take on Westworld, which having seen a few episodes of Westworld, world already no big deal uh is definitely you're just a brag definitely definitely lends itself to some of that stuff so that's going to be a good show that's going to be coming up here on post show recaps in the future so lots of really good podcasts coming up thanks so much guys for listening through all of these mr robot podcasts again very very touching means a lot to both of us we will talk to you all again very very soon take care everybody goodbye joshua A few.